Hey everyone, before we start, I just wanted to say a big uh, happy Thanksgiving to all of you. wanted to thank all of the listeners out there. I would not be doing this if it weren't for you who are listening each and every week. The reason why I am in this field and I, I cover started doing this years ago and uh, I love covering sports and, and pop culture is to interact with all of you. So a big happy Thanksgiving and a very trying year. Thank you to all the listeners. Big thank you to all the sponsors of That's What G Said Podcast. We've had many right now currently. SarahCandles.com, Cindy Carava, Full Service Realtor, Stable Duel, OldSmokeClothing.com, Thrive Fantasy, Sam Houston Racetrack, Pleasanton, a couple that we've worked with. And uh, thank you to uh, my family. I want a big, uh, big thanks to my son, my girlfriend, and I'm very happy for my health again. Uh, back in 2010, uh, during Thanksgiving, I was actually in the hospital with cancer. So in a, another trying year of 2020 for everyone, I hope all of you are safe and doing well, and let's be thankful for everything that we have. I'm thankful for all of you tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said. Now let's get over to Joey Cleveland for that theme song. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. It is Thursday, November the 26th, 2020, and we have a ton to discuss. Uh, We're going to get right into the NFL Thanksgiving games. Only two games now uh, with the uh, postponement of the Ravens-Steelers, but Darren Zocali joined me and we talked about all three of those games before they made the announcement of the postponement. So I left in the discussion about the uh, the Pittsburgh-Baltimore game because that game is going to end up happening on uh, a little bit later on Sunday. We're going to go through the rest of NFL Week 12. I'm going to give you my early thoughts on Week 12. NBA free agency, everything that went down free agency with all the trades. We're going to go through the stable tool schedule for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then I got tons of Thursday and Friday racing for you. We got plays from Churchill Downs on Thanksgiving. We've got Del Moore on Thanksgiving. And then on Friday, we've got full card Churchill Downs thoughts. A couple plays from Aqueduct for you on a, a card with a few different stakes races. We've got Delta Downs plays for you. And Delta also has a stable duel contest. We've got Del Mar plays for you. And they've also got a stable duel contest. Then we've got a discussion on Survivor Series. We talk about what happened uh, over the weekend, The Undertaker, the 30-year anniversary, and everything going on in the WWE with Darren Tocali, and then finish things off with a recap. Spoiler alert, that's why I put it at the very end of The Mandalorian. We go through the most recent episode of The Mandalorian as lots of things are happening now in the last few episodes. We're up to uh, Season 2, Episode 4 now, recapping uh, as every new episode comes out basically on Friday, and I'll usually recap the that one, uh, you know, any, anywhere to three or four days to a week or so after. So, again, 
football, basketball, tons of horse racing for Thursday, for Friday. Friday, we have four different tracks that we're covering, some wrestling, and then the Mandalorian. So, uh, be, so, so just to give you an idea of what the, what the racing looks like too for the next couple days on Thursday at Churchill, we're going to talk races two, three, five, seven, eight, nine, ten in the grade two Falls City. On Thursday for Del Mar, we talk races two, three, four, six, seven with the grade three red carpet. On Friday, Churchill full card with the grade one Clark as their feature. Aqueduct Friday, talk races one, five, eight, and nine. There are three stakes races on that card with the grade three Comley as the uh, the headliner there at Delta on Friday. I'm going to go through races one, two, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They have the treasure chest stakes, a really nice stakes race at Friday, uh, at Delta on Friday. And then Del Mar Friday, full card thoughts. I it's a little chalky, so I probably only have three or four plays, but I do give quick thoughts on on the uh, the card there with the feature, the Grade Two Hollywood Turf Cup. So that's Thursday, Friday on this show. I couldn't even fit all of the weekend stuff on, so I'm gonna do a bonus Thanksgiving show because I love everybody. Where I'm gonna talk about the Saturday racing. Andrew Champagne's gonna join me. We're gonna talk a little bit about the Churchill Saturday card because it's one of those all two year old cards, and they have the Grade Two. Golden Rod, the Grade Two Kentucky Jockey Club Gold Cup. We're going to talk about Delta Downs and the huge stable duel contest going on there on Saturday. They have uh, the Delta Mile and then a Del Mar, three graded stakes races with the Hollywood Derby, the Sea Biscuit, and the Jimmy Durante, and a huge stable duel contest, which you'll hear more about in just a little bit. Right now, we get into. The NFL, we're going to talk about the Thanksgiving Thursday games with Darren Zocali. We really get into all three of the games that were supposed to be on Thanksgiving. and So we go in order. First, we talk uh, the morning game, Texans-Lions. Then we talk Cowboys versus Washington. And then afterwards, we talk about the uh, Pittsburgh-Baltimore game that has moved. Following that, I'm going to go through uh, the rest of the Week 12 games coming up. So recording this a little early in the week because uh, with Thanksgiving holiday, we know that we have three NFL games this week. So what I'll do is uh, I have a guest to join me to talk about those three games, and then I'll uh, I'll breeze through the the rest of the NFL slate. But we'll get into the uh, the three games on Thanksgiving. Uh, as Darren, you know, when you look at Darren Zocali joins me to talk about them. When you look at the slate initially, it's like eh, you kind of went eh, eh. but there are. Some interesting things in these games First, you know uh, We get the we get the, the train wreck That is the Lions How long is Matt Patricia going to last with, with this team When he is a 13-28-1 And they just got shut out last week by Carolina We got a second game Where we have two teams that are 3-7 and seven, But they're in the division, the NFC East Where your team is in And whoever wins this game is actually going to be in first place By a half game heading into the weekend And then we got the Steelers and the Ravens one of the best rivalries of the last 15 to 20 years in a game where Pittsburgh can really put their foot on the throat of that division. They can move to 11 and 0 and they can put Baltimore in sort of a bad way. So there's a lot of interesting things heading into the, uh, the three game slate we have on Thursday. Yeah, no question about it. Um, you know, like you mentioned, there's a lot of stuff going on with Detroit, you know, having a completely broken offense is not normally the narrative that we hear about the Lions, that we've known them for years in this Stafford era to lose some heartbreaking shootouts in which they score a ton of points and the team that they're playing against scores a ton plus one. 
Um, that couldn't be farther from the case of what the Lions are right now. Uh, the NFC East is completely up for grabs. You now have four teams uh, essentially within half a game of one another. So, uh, one of these two teams in this completely inscrutable division will be at the least a shareholder of, of first place. Um, and, and like you said, I mean, there are some questions about this Baltimore-Pittsburgh game, unfortunately, because of all the, the COVID, COVID stuff yeah. coming out of the Ravens. And, uh, you know, knowing my luck, the game's going to get postponed because I'm in a box pool and actually drew 0-7 for this Oh, game. it was great numbers, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, you know, because of that, and the guy says to me in a text today, he says, uh, listen, if that game cancels, we're, you know, we're just going to uh, – you know, increase the prizes on on the first two games, and of course, I don't have anywhere near as good as numbers. Terrible numbers. Take it to the bank that the, that the night game probably gets canceled. But yeah, I mean, Baltimore Pittsburgh uh, is a, is a tremendous rivalry, and Pittsburgh, of course, you know, was the only undefeated team left, and uh, they are like a locomotive, full steam ahead at this point. So let's start with uh, the morning game. Uh, the line in this one, Houston is now up to around a three-point favorite at Detroit. The over under this game is 51 and a half. Now, keep in mind, since these are going to be multiple games early in the week, we're also recording this late on Tuesday. With all three of these games, there's a lot of injury stuff to check. It's kind of funny, actually, that the Cowboys-Washington game doesn't feel like there's as much as, as, as the other two. But in this one in particular, you have uh, on the Texan side, Randall Cobb is out. Kenny Stills is going to be a game-time decision. And then on the offensive line, there's a couple offensive linemen that are banged up for the Texans to, to keep an eye on uh, also. Then on the Detroit side... Galladay is probably going to be out again Swift, keep an eye on him He's probably going to be out Stafford has been banged up Amendola is going to be out So there are a lot of skill position players That are going to be out in this one Houston is 3-7 and seven straight up 3-7 and seven against the spread Detroit 4-6 and six straight up 4-6 and six against the spread This game opened at around 2, 2.5 It's up to 3 And I mean the Lions just got shut out Darren by a team that was starting a backup quarterback And a backup running back So if you make the excuse for the Lions They're missing some of their skill players I mean they just lost to a Carolina team That was also missing some of their better players And their starting quarterback Um, They And Detroit only got 185 yards of total offense They only scored 10 first downs uh, They only had 10 first downs against Carolina Last week It, It almost That game almost felt like a give up game like a game that a team gives when they're giving up on their coach and they sort of roll over and they just had absolutely nothing. And when we talk about Matt Patricia, he took over a team that was nine and seven that made the playoffs. And he has been horrible since I would not play. I don't like playing a situation like this and the Texans don't feel like they're good enough to be a team that you want to play a ton or you want to be laying a bunch of points on the road. But I don't know how I could play Detroit in here and anything under three, like if it got up to three and a half, four, I could maybe start thinking about playing Detroit. But I just, I think they might, that might have been the white flag that they waved last week. Yeah. If you actually got ahead of the curve in this game and liked Houston last week, uh, the, the line actually opened Lions minus two. So mm-hmm. yeah. there's, there's been a five point swing here. In just yeah, a week, I, look ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and in addition, in addition to all the other injuries, Stafford's also dealing with a ligament injury in his throwing thumb. Uh, if you watch the game last week, he did not make nearly as many downfield throws as he typically does. Uh, Galladay not being in the lineup could certainly be a part of that, but it did not look like the Matt Stafford that we typically see as a healthy Matt Stafford. Uh, Peterson was terrible on the ground as well. 
Hawkinson swore, even though he was he, he caught four balls, I think for 68 yards. Uh, Hawkinson's dealing with a bit of an issue uh, with with a foot that's kind of seen his snap share down a little bit from his previous couple of weeks. So there's a lot of things going on with the Lions that are not good at all. Um, and the Texans have a lot of issues too. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. David Johnson has not been there. Duke Johnson, who's basically been a complimentary back for the majority of his career, has kind of taken over the lion's share of carries. Uh, you mentioned the, on the offensive line, you know, Tunsil has had some issues. It looks like he might be giving it a go this week because he returned to practice. Uh, DeAndre Swift actually returned to practice on a limited session on Tuesday, so maybe he's going to play for the Lions. But this is a, an ugly, like, bang-up-looking kind of game. And, and when a game looks this ugly for me, I, I look, I can't possibly take the Lions. I'm not I don't feel great about the Texans with all the issues that they have. The one thing that I kind of like though, I like the under. Yeah. I mean, 51 and a half for two teams for a team that got shut out last week. And I get it, neither of these teams have an all-world defense, but there are so many issues with both teams on offense. Getting the 52 points for me just feels like a lot. Now if I'm gonna do anything here, I'm probably gonna take the under. I would lean under and same thing I would lean on the Texans but I just wouldn't feel comfortable Laying three and anything over three With the, with a Texans team that isn't Great some some positive things to Look at for the Texans and so like if I'm playing Fantasy and I'm playing some DFS This day I would definitely look at At some of the um, a couple of The Texans you know probably their Top receivers in Cooks and Fuller And, and Watson in particular Since week five he has had the best pro football focus passing grade in the league. The, and the passing offense is actually first in per play efficiency. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to blow it up and score 40. That just means they're passing the ball very, very well and efficiently, much different than they were under O'Brien. And when you really look at the, the Texans and you look at some of their losses early on in the season, I, and again, I don't think this is a good team, but to me, the Texans are like a 500 team. To, to like slightly under 500 And they're, they have a quarterback and some playmakers That are good enough for them to win some games That they should that they probably shouldn't win but, And they've lost some games to some good teams They lost to the Chiefs, they lost to the Ravens They lost to the Steelers And then after they lost to the Vikings They fired their head coach And then since then they've beaten the Jags twice Who are no good But they had a horrible loss to the Titans Where they should have won that game There was no excuses for losing that game late And they lost to Green Bay they lost 10-7 to the Browns. They beat the Patriots. They're like a 500 team. They just feel better than than the Lions um, overall. Kiki QT, if you're looking for somebody for like a deep flyer as like a really cheap option in some of your DFS leagues, he's going to be the third receiver there behind Cooks and Fuller. So he'll run a few more routes. Maybe you can get him on a flyer into the end zone for super cheap uh, FanDuel, DraftKings, anything that you're playing like that. But for me, I'm with you. Like under, I would lean. Um, I'm definitely more on the Texan side than the Lions, but no really strong play either way uh, in this one as uh, we move to game two of the three game slate on Thanksgiving. And this one, you know, a few weeks ago, we looked at it and rolled our eyes, Cowboys, Washington. And now with the Eagles, I mean, honestly, for a minute, we got to talk. How disappointing the Eagles have been with, with the chance. I know they're banged up. I know they've had a lot of injuries. They've had... Couple of opportunities to just take this division By the stranglehold and just Hey Philly if you're a 500 Team you can win this division by two or Three games and they haven't even been Able to do that they've been so disappointing Since their their Super Bowl Win and coaching wise And and everything I mean it's just um, They're three six and one Now 
And what what's a little bit scary for them, Darren, is when you just look at upcoming schedules. Like you compare the schedules that the Giants have and that Dallas have and that Washington has. Look at Dallas. They play Dallas and Washington play each other. Then Dallas plays Baltimore. After that, they go at Cincy, 49ers, Eagles, Giants. That's not too difficult. Uh, Washington, you know, they got the Pittsburgh 49ers, um, Seattle, Carolina, Philly. That's a little bit more difficult. But Philly's in some trouble. They've got some tough games on their schedule. And so, um, I mean, you, you as a Giants fan, this is going to be an interesting game for you. You're watching two teams that you probably look at and think, we're easily as good as these teams. Yeah, as, as a Giants fan, it's hard not to feel – and and it's not just based on there's a lot of things to go into this you can't objectively watch the giants for the last 10 weeks and not come away with the conclusion that they're a much better team right now than they were three four weeks ago um you know they've developed they're figuring things out keep in mind like all other i get all other teams you know everybody didn't have a preseason and they're dealing with the same issues but second year quarterback uh, All-world running back out for the season week two. Uh, banged up, you know, wide receivers uh, that have kind of been in and out of the lineup at times to start the year. New coaching staff. Uh, new offensive coordinator. That's a lot of things to figure out. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to figure them out. Um, you know, I, there's a lot of talent on that Giants offense. The defense is playing much better uh, than I could have ever imagined, especially in the secondary. And when you take a look at this, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying that the Eagles haven't had issues because they've certainly had a, a ton of injuries. But, you know, so have the Giants. Uh, you know, who, right, who, a lot, everybody has this year. Yeah. And as I, can say, I just, I just mentioned the yeah. Carolina team that's been playing without Teddy Bridgewater and, and CMC, and they just shut out the Lions 20 to nothing. Taysom yeah. Hill starting for the Saints. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, your your team's missing Barkley. Like everybody's yep. having major major issues. Yep. It's just I, we've all wanted to give the Eagles the the benefit of the doubt and the mulligan over and over and over and over and said, okay, once they get healthy, they're they're going to come together and be a legitimate contender. And they're not, and they're in trouble. They play Seahawks on Monday Night Football, then they play at the Packers, the Saints, at the Cardinals. That's the next four games for the Eagles. They could yeah. lose all four of those games. They absolutely could. And and, and with the Eagles, from, from, from my vantage point, I, I truly believe that the problem with the Eagles is very easily identifiable. It's Carson Wentz. He's bad. He's terrible. I mean, there are some throws that he makes where you have to be saying to yourself, what, what could he possibly have seen and what could he have possibly been thinking? Like, you know, Daniel Jones makes mistakes, but he's a second-year player. That's still figuring things out. Carson Wentz has been in the league for, you know, a few years now. He's the number one draft pick. I mean, you know, you, this guy is n- not only is he not getting better, he, he's much worse. He, than he, he is the player. trifecta. He leads the NFL in fumbles, interceptions, and sacks. Well, and if you would have told me, if you would have said to me coming into the season, hey, Darren, uh, Thanksgiving week, there's going to be a quarterback in the NFC East that leads the NFL in fumbles, interceptions, and sacks, I'm going to say, oh, my God, Daniel Jones is a shit show. Yeah, yeah. I would have automatically thought it was him. Baker or somebody would have said, you know what I mean? Like, you you wouldn't 
have predicted this and and it's it's unfortunate because I think it's one of a couple things and we're talking in NFC East and we'll get to uh the uh Cowboys Washington in just a second but this is all part of the conversation with the NFC East and this is a, a massive game in the NFC East it's it's like one of those things where I sort of feel bad for him because I th- I do think that there have been some situations because of times where he's been with um uh, you know he, he early on he had this amazing success rate uh, when they were going well and he was having that MVP run that year when they ended up winning and when when he wasn't there to win the Super Bowl for them but when when they were on that good run he was doing things on like third and long and third down that was super unsustainable but he was making these great plays into really tight windows that you just can't do and then what ends up happening is you lose a couple of your linemen So your line's not as good So you're not getting as much time to make those kind of plays And the and the Skill position players that helped you Make those plays aren't there anymore And you still kind of try to Force it and, and unfortunately that's Been what he's been doing for the last Two years now he still Is he hasn't changed his game at all at all with the personnel and realized Oh I don't have a line or I don't Have the skill position players I Can't turn the ball over I need to be better for our team as far as just making plays and he it's unfortunate because it's like you could you could see it happening and when you go back through his last year and a half it's like well it, it makes sense why he's tried to force things and why he's he, he but it just he can't be that guy anymore and he he just won't do it he he's go- I mean he threw one of the worst pick sixes last week against the Browns yeah. that I've seen in a while I mean it was right to the defender who was gone and I mean that's it. That's the difference in a game that you end up losing by five in a low-scoring game. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, you you can point to those bad decisions that he makes and say, you know, this is why you know they've lost games. And you and you talk about like with the Giants. I, I mean, look, your record is what it is. You know, you win games and you lose games. But when you take a look at the Giants in, in terms of the games that they played, and I, I'm never going to say games that they should have won because could, I could I, have is though, but could have. I mean. Yep. The game, the, you know, they, 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 I'm not going to say that they could have beaten the Steelers, but they were in the game against an undefeated team in the fourth quarter. Um, they could have easily beaten the Bears. They had goal to go in the fourth, at the end of the game to beat them. Um, you know, they could have easily beaten the Cowboys. They could have easily beaten the Eagles the first time around. They were in the game with the Rams. They actually held the Rams, who you mm-hmm. saw all night, throwing the ball all over the place against the vaunted Tampa Bay Buccaneer defense that you can't hear enough about in the NFL. They held those Ram team to 17 points. So, And there's been other examples, too. They, they've been in almost every game with the exception of the 49er game. And, and yeah, they could be, they're could they 3-7. and seven. They could be 4-6. and six. They could be 5-5. Five and five. They could be 6-4. and four. If they Now, if they are going to start to become that better team that figures out how to win those games down the stretch – you would, from my point of view, given the health scenario of them versus the other teams, given the quarterback position for them versus the other teams, and given the fact that the team is coming together where other teams seem to be having some other issues in the division, I think I would rather be in their position 
than I, any of the other three teams that are currently in the NFC East. I completely agree, and two of them are playing on Thursday in the middle game of the three-game slate. Cowboys are a three-point favorite at home against Washington football team. Over-under in this game is 46. Cowboys are 3-7 and seven straight up, 2-8 and eight against the spread. They were 0-8 to start, but they've covered their last two games. The Washington football team, 3-7 and seven straight up, 5-5 five and five against the spread. Winner in this game will be in first for uh, a few days, at least until the Giants play uh, and the Eagles. We see what happened. They'll be a half game ahead of them. They're both coming off of victories And and you know what, for Dallas They actually looked Pretty decent coming off of the bye And and so I, I like that They had a little time to say Hey, okay, now we don't have Dak We're going to be working with Dalton We have to kind of change some things here We have to do some things that Dalton can can Do well, and maybe some things That take some things out of the playbook That, that he didn't do well This was a much better offense overall they Dalton was 22 for 32 He had 203 yards passing Three touchdowns and an interception Just one sack which was key Zeke had 21 carries He had 103 yards rushing He had a couple receptions and a touchdown Overall as a team they had 5.8 yards per rush Pollard was really good running the ball too They're going to be playing a slightly better defense In Washington that's number 6 overall In defensive uh, DVOA But Washington's coming off of a game during where they sort of got lucky. They won 20 to 9, but they were down in that game. They were down in a game where the Bengals had missed two field goals, missed an extra point, and turned the ball over on downs like fourth and two going in, and they were st- and they were still up on Washington until Burrow got hurt. And then that was it and then, and then the game completely changed Have to mention the really cool feel good story About Alex Smith after an injury And surgeries and an infection To where they thought this guy might lose his leg And maybe lose his life He is back on the field and starting And he won a game starting last week And you know what the, both of these teams have some interesting weapons Gibson starting to look better for Washington The rookie running back They have a good uh, running back McKissick Who catches balls out of the backfield He's uh, product, very productive in fantasy And uh, McLaren might be a good play this week In fantasy Because Dallas has a banged up uh, secondary They're going to be without their cornerback Anthony Brown Probably Anthony Brown He left the game Sunday They're already going to be missing um, One of their rookie starters So you know some some things on both sides to to look at in here. Um, this is also going to be a sort of a revenge game, I guess. That nasty hit a couple weeks back on on Dalton was against Washington, so maybe he wants to even more stick it to them. Um, what do you think in this Dallas Washington game? Yeah, I will, we'll be remiss to not point out that it, going into Thanksgiving, um, over the last 14, 15 years, I think it's fifteen years, favorites straight up are forty and six. On Thanksgiving, and they're thirty-three and thirteen against the spread, going back to two thousand. Chalk, chalk, chalk. Yeah, so big time chalk fest on Thanksgiving historically. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I I think the Cowboys against another team with a different quarterback. You know, I I think that the Cowboys would be in a lot more trouble. No Anthony Brown, no Trevon Diggs. Uh, Rashard Robinson, who came up and uh, who was from the practice squad, did not look good against the Vikings. Um, and and I imagine he's going to be starting. So, you know, maybe they can pick on him a little bit. But um, look, if the Redskins are going to be successful, uh, I think they're going to have to do two things. I think they're going to have to run the ball really well with Gibson. And I think they have to make some smart checkdowns to to McKissick. I think that's going to be. Yeah. 
the key to their success here. Um, for the Cowboys, you know, I think they got to run the ball well and take the pressure off Dalton. Um, you know, if they do that, they're in the game. I think it's a close game. I think it's evenly matched. Um, if I was going to bet this game, and I don't have a strong feeling for it, I would probably take the three points with the Redskins because I don't think that there's more than three-point separation right now between the two teams. I like the way Washington has been running the ball. I think they're starting to realize more and more that Gibson is their best weapon, and I think he's going to become more and more involved in the offense the rest of the season. I expect him to have an 18-20 to 20 touch game, and if, and if they get him rolling early like they did against the Bengals, it could, it could go a long way to success for them. Yeah, the, at three, same thing here. Like three, it feels about right. It, at, if it was a half either way, like if it was two and a half, I'd lean Cowboys. At three and a half, I'd lean Washington because right. it feels like it's probably going to be a close game and that number is key. The the number I might be looking at is the over-under is starting to click down a little to 46 I'm seeing in some spots. And I might go over at that number because I think that's that's kind of low. And I, I could see these two teams just being right in that range there getting over the 46. I, I don't think... Like, you know, you look at Washington and they have a good defense, but again, you look at a team like the Bengals that were able to to move the ball on them fine up and down the field last week, and you can move the ball against Washington. Even the Lions a couple of weeks back were moving the ball up and down against Washington. So I think Dallas will be able to move the ball, and I don't think – and Dallas's defense is not good. Washington, like you said, they're running the ball a lot better, and I, I don't think it's going to be – uh, it's going to be big shots from Alex Smith. It's going to be checkdowns and short little. Th- he's he's an accurate checkdown and an accurate short passing quarterback. He just can't let it loose and let it rip down the field. So that those are some uh, I'm looking at. Maybe uh maybe throw a McLaren and a McKissick in there if you're playing some uh, some DFS. Gibson's been very very good as of late, but no real strong opinion either way. What's difficult about Dallas too is that um they're from a regular football. Perspective they've got phenomenal receivers From a fantasy football perspective It makes it a little bit difficult because Is it going to be Cooper is it going to be Lamb Is it going to be Gallup even Schultz Is getting a little bit of runs sometimes And now you get two backs that are in the mix with Pollard And with Zeke so it's kind of hard sometimes To hone in on which one of the receivers it's going to be Yeah from a DFS standpoint it's tricky Um, You know plus you, you got Dalton You know to consider as well You know it's still a downgrade from, from Dak, no matter how you look at it. It's an upgrade from where they were a few weeks ago. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it's hard to know from, from week to week, which receiver is going to be the guy, um, you know, lamb could be more of a, you know, uh, a deep threat with Gallup, you know, Cooper is a guy that gets open and could be a possession guy. You know, are you looking for catches? Are you looking for yards? Yeah. It, it's, it's tricky uh, from a DFS standpoint, you know, I, you really got to flip a coin. You never know which one is going to show up. Um, I think it's a close game, though, if you're betting the game. Um, I, I agree with you on the over-under. I think there will be some points scored. Washington does have a good pass rush. But, uh, yeah, neither of these teams are really known for clamping down on defense. You know, I could definitely see this game being like a 27-24 type game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would lean slightly over, lean slightly. Like I said, that, that number, I mean, I think Dallas wins, but um, – Make sure you're you're on the right side of the number uh, either way. So uh, see if you can wait for if you're gonna you know on the Washington side you want two and a half. If you're on the Dallas side, you know uh, if you're Washington side three and a half, Dallas side two and a half. As we move to the third and final game, and as Darren mentioned at the beginning, you really have to keep an eye on this one because there are um, some major COVID issues. Of course, Darren in 2020, the marquee game on Thanksgiving night when everyone's around in a year where uh, Thanksgiving has basically been canceled, we are gonna have a game where 
We don't even really know if it's going to go on I'll tell you this The NFL is going to do everything they can To play this game They yeah. are going to really really try So uh, from the Ravens perspective They're going to be without We know already J.K. Dobbins, Mark Ingram, and Brandon Williams Which is J.K. Dobbins coming off of his best game Where he really looked like he was finally like taking this backfield by the stranglehold And going to be the guy moving forward So that's uh, an obvious bummer And we, we you know hope for all of them that they don't have any symptoms or health issues or anything But again, we're, we're recording this late Tuesday night This show is going to be out Wednesday you have to just monitor what's going on here That's why this number has moved so much You would have assumed this to be well, Think about this When these two teams played against each other at Baltimore Just a month ago Baltimore was opened up as a 6 point favorite in that game That ended up like leveling off It came down a little bit But definitely it was on the Baltimore side This game opened up And we would have thought it would have been Pittsburgh favored by a couple points Probably, you know, I think it was 2.5 to 3 And now it's floated all the way up to 5, 5.5 in some spots Total uh, is 44 and a half Very very low so you've got the 10 and 0 Pittsburgh Steelers they are 8 and 2 Against the spread against the 6 and 4 Baltimore Ravens they are 4 and 6 against the spread and uh, Darren right now The Ravens are not in the playoffs If if, if this playoff started today They would not be in They blew a 10 point lead to the Titans Last week they Plain and simple have not Looked good offensively At all we, I think a lot of us, because they were so good last year and because Lamar was so awesome and this, this, uh, they were so efficient and they went up and down and they had that great win streak. We we're all, we've all been kind of waiting for them to get back to that point. And I think it's pretty safe to say, like, this group just is not that group. No. And, and I think a part of it is the fact that, look, the NFL is a very, Intellectually gifted league In terms Mm -hmm. of coaches And sure Lamar Jackson is a tremendous athlete But He brings a specific skill set That's going to initially work And now what you're starting to see Is the league has figured out Lamar Jackson Mm -hmm. Figured out what you need to do To Force him to make throws that he doesn't want to make Get uncomfortable Yep. Get him uncomfortable, contain him You know, yes, does he have five He has 575 yards on the ground You know, rushing But it, but, but a lot of that was done earlier in the year um, He's missing a lot of receivers His leading wide receiver over the last four games Has six catches on 17 targets for 55 yards uh, In Marquise Hollywood Brown Mark Andrews is probably right now their best pass catcher, um, but he's only got 38 catches on the year so far. The running game, you know, you this is the – see, I'm a proponent. I understand that a lot of these teams now, they like this running back by committee approach. That's fine. They think they're going to keep guys fresh, and I'm not going to say that I know more than NFL coaches and analytics and, and so on and so forth. But there is something to be said – for getting a guy the ball enough that he becomes comfortable in what he's doing. In a rhythm, yeah. And when you put a guy in and he carries the ball on first down, and then you do play action second down, you throw the ball third down, you don't get it. Then the next series you bring, you know, that that was Ingram. Then the next series you bring in Edwards, he doesn't touch the ball. Then the next series you bring in Dobbins, he gets a carry. Then you go back to Edwards who gets a carry. That's no good. No. 
these guys have to get some consistent time touching the ball. Now, maybe that will work to Edwards' advantage this week because Ingram is out, Dobbins is out. I don't know what they're going to do in terms of their other running back situation. Maybe I think they brought Justice Hill, I believe, has been yeah. been activated. So someone who's going to get some some touches. And it's funny to to the opposite of the point that you made, or to piggyback it and look at what happened to them last week. Look at what they every week with Derrick Henry. It yeah. seems like every week with Henry, he goes into the second half or the starting the fourth quarter. He's got like 40, 50 yards. You know, he's been okay, and then he just wears you down. He it's a combination of him wearing you down, him constantly being in a rhythm because he's that guy. And we see it still with some of the Bell Cow running backs. I agree with you. It's just they everything has been a little bit off for them um throughout this year. They just have not had very good flow. I mean, they've lost three of their last four now, and they have the they have the number twenty third ranked offense. By Football Outsiders DVOA I mean we're not even talking like they are a Below average offense and they Were a top 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 tier Offense they, uh, they But keep in mind The last time they played Pitt They still should have won they were Driving late they if you Just look at some of the pure stats in that game Everything was pointing to a Baltimore win but they just could Not get the job done And I mean Darren you were mentioning some of their Skill players they're to the point now where they were throwing like some of their best offense late in the game against the Titans. After the Titans punched him back in the mouth, they were throwing screen passes to Des Bryant, who's only been around for a few weeks. Like that was their best play. Yeah, and and by the way, would be remiss to not point out that a lot of these problems have also come in in, in sync with Ronnie Stanley not being there. Yep, and up in the front, they're not the same team in the trenches that they were last year on the offensive side or the defensive side of the ball up front. Nope. Nope. I mean, you know, Matt, Matt Skura is probably, you know, in the top third as a center in, in, in the league. You know, Orlando, but I mean, when you take a look at the rest of it, you know, Orlando Brown, Ben Powers, and Bradley Bozeman, you know, it's just not the same offensive line without Ronnie Stanley, and, and that's hurting them a lot. I'm sure it's hurting how they scheme quite a bit. And I'm sure that, you know, the, the looks that Lamar Jackson is getting from a defensive standpoint is probably con- starting to become a bit more confusing because they're figuring out what to do with him. And if it, if this is the way things are going to progress, um, you know, long-term, I don't like their chances. And I definitely don't like their chances coming up, uh, you know, Thursday night against a Steeler team that, in my opinion, is probably a top two, top three defense in the NFL. Roethlisberger is banged up. Um, every game he has been hobbling around and, you know, he landed on that elbow, you know, a couple of games ago and, and took him a while to shake that off. But, I mean, unless Roethlisberger is, is literally in a full body cast, it, it, it seems to not matter. Um, so I, I really have a hard time seeing a scenario where the Steelers don't win this game at home. Look, they're, I, they're not going to go 16-0, and 0, I, I don't think. They're going to get picked off at some point, and you would have thought that against the Ravens would have been one of those times. Mm-hmm. But the way that the Ravens are coming into this game, it's, you know, so, it's, it's so hard. And then the COVID stuff. Like, they're coming yeah. in with all this bad – like, every week it's been like, okay, the Ravens are going to get back. Last week they played a terrible Tennessee defense, which was a perfect for them to score a bunch of points. They were up 10 couldn't seal the deal. Now you got this COVID stuff coming in on a short week. It, 
I would love like this is exactly the time when you just start playing against the undefeated team every week, like you said, because it's just going to catch up with them. Like you play against them, like you play the other opposite team in the point spread every week because we've seen it. You just like you you want to lose a game almost before you go into the playoffs, right? No, exactly. And and, and like look, you know they have a well. I mean, I thought you know there were some interesting games coming up. You know, at Buffalo. Is a game that they could lose. They have a game against the Colts that they could lose. You know, if they go into the last game at Cleveland, you know, and they're fourteen and one or, or something like that, and they don't need to win the game, you know, that's certainly a game that that they could lose. But I mean, you take a look at what they have. You know, Connor's running the ball well. You know, he's at about four and a half yards per carry. Um, you know, in terms of their receivers, I mean, you know, Deontay Johnson, I think, is going to be the number one guy they're going into next year. Yeah. I think he's an elite talent. Chase Claypool brings in a, a very interesting skill set that you could do a lot of things with. You know, Juju may not be the the oral worldwide receiver that we originally thought he was. But is but, a two or a three? Is he is like if he's not your one, if he's even if he's your one A, two A, two B, you know, in that conversation, he like that it just compare their three receivers right there right. to the other side. Exactly. Like to the Baltimore side where we're talking about Marquise Brown, Willie Sneed, and Des Bryant. Yeah. And Roethlisberger is completing 67% of his passes, and he's got a 24 to 5 touchdown to interception ratio. I mean, there's a reason why this team is, is undefeated. Um, the offensive, they, offensively, they could explode at any moment. Defensively, they, they just sacked the hell out of everybody. Uh, they forced turnovers. And like we said, look, I, I love the Steelers in this game. I, I recognize the fact that they're probably going to get picked off eventually. It's just with everything going on with the Ravens right now, with COVID, with how they've looked, Lamar Jackson has looked terrible the last few weeks. Uh, it's just almost impossible to like the Ravens coming into this game. It is better defense, better offense for Pittsburgh. They're healthier. They're they're the number one defensive DVOA Um they're just it's it's yeah it's really difficult to be on the on the Raven side in here and um, a, a question that's being posed in a lot of places now um, here's uh, is you know what's more likely Pittsburgh going sixteen and zero or the Jets going zero and sixteen and and I think Pittsburgh is like fifteen sixteen percent and the Jets are like twenty percent actually have a higher percentage of going zero and sixteen but but if you look at the Pittsburgh schedule they've got. The Ravens, then they've got the Cowboys, the Browns, and then they close with the Jags, the Giants, and the Bengals. You know, um, um, or, or so that's uh, that's excuse me, that's Baltimore's schedule. I'm sorry, I was reading the wrong one because I didn't say that the, the Pittsburgh already played it. So, so that's what that's what's great. Um, interesting about Baltimore is that this feels like a game in the last couple of weeks. Feel like okay, they're done. But here, Darren, let's say they lose this game and they're six and five. Okay, Cowboys. They probably win that game still, and they're seven and five. Even if they lose at the Browns and they're seven and six, then they got Jags, Giants, Bengals. They could very easily be a ten-win team, Baltimore. Even this version of Baltimore, they could. Uh, I mean, that, that's like that schedule is one that up until I wrote down, you know, before we talked. Like I didn't realize how easy their the rest of their schedule is after Pittsburgh. So as much as you feel like they they still. Could be right in the playoff mix Even though they're not there right now And they have to worry about the teams that are right in front of them They have to worry about the Raiders They have to worry about the Dolphins they Who are both 6-4 and four along with Baltimore They're behind the Bills, Colts, and Titans Who are all 7-3 and three. So there are there are 5 or 6 teams All in that same window 
And it looks like there's probably going to be Four Maybe of those six that make it Yeah I mean the, you know the, the Jacksonville game is a gimme for them And the Bengal game with Ryan Finley At, at quarterback in week 17 It's going to be a gimme for everyone now Yeah is, is a gimme for them also um, You know look We'll see what Dallas looks like a couple weeks from now. You know, Cleveland is a good ball club at seven and three. You know, week sixteen. I mean, look, if the Giants put together a little run here, and 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 if they, you know, they get to week sixteen where you know they've won, you know, another three or four games and are sitting at the top of their division, I don't necessarily know that they have to win that game at MetLife Stadium. So, um, it's if they lose this week and go to six and five. They they're gonna have a an uphill battle because there's some good teams in the AFC that um, you know that that are gonna be ahead of them, including the Browns in their own division. Um, you know the Dolphins, you know see, seemingly are gonna be ahead of them as well. You know the, whoever doesn't win the division between the Titans and the Colts, um, the Raiders, you know are probably gonna get to eight wins in the next couple weeks. Um, it, it's gonna be if they can fall to six and five, they're gonna have their work cut out for them. And that's hard to believe that we're saying that when they went into that game against the Chiefs a month ago on Monday Night Football, we were basically saying, "All right, well, who's going to be the number one seed?" They were, and they, they were a four-point favorite yeah, that game. Yeah, I know, crazy. It's crazy Absolutely. to think about. They were more than a field goal favorite over Mahomes, and it just my how things have fallen for them so so quickly. A uh, huge one for them this weekend uh, as they try to knock off the Steelers, and I mean. Pittsburgh, can you, can you believe they could go to 11-0 here, Pittsburgh So uh, three games, um, Houston, Detroit, Cowboys, Washington, Pittsburgh, Baltimore And it's I'll be getting in in some of the DFS contests I'm in, in a couple different I'm, I'm one of the sponsors of a, uh, that's what she said, Thrive Fantasy is a really cool site That has a daily fantasy that's built around props So there'll be a couple contests that I'm getting in And uh, some of the players that we've mentioned too But I don't I think in the Cowboys Washington game, I might lean over that one if you can get 46 or definitely anything under 48, I'm okay with, but I like the 46 number is a good one. And, and I think I'd be leaning towards the under also with you uh, in the first game. Um, it's up to 51 and a half, Houston, Detroit, but I don't really have a strong lean on any of these sides in the three games. Um, I, I the, be honest with you, the, the strongest lean that I have is the biggest spread. I, I like, I think Pittsburgh is at least yeah. better. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you, if you said to me, hold my feet to the fire and say, give me one side, I would give you Pittsburgh minus five and a half. But, um, yeah, I mean, looking at the three plays, if I'm attacking these three games individually, uh, I would take the under in the early game. Uh, I would take Washington plus three. If it goes to three and a half, I would like Washington. Sure. I agree with you. If it goes to two and a half, I would definitely rethink that. Uh, and I do, I actually like the over in the night. I think Pittsburgh is going to put up like 35 points. That seems low. I agree. Really Even, I know these two teams you think of as like rivals. They're going to go back and forth. We don't know what's going to happen, but that seems low. I would, I, I think so too. I actually, I prefer all of the. The over-unders than I would even more to the sides I would lean over in that one 44 and a half I would lean over in the Cowboys Washington 46 and under in the 51 and a half in the first one and uh, I, I mean I would yeah I, I think as far as just winning the game straight up to I'm probably on all the chalky sides like I couldn't I could not play Detroit no. Cowboys Washington like you said at the number I could I could get convinced if the number were to move one way or the other I could I could go either way and the Ravens, I just can't. I can't. I can play. Give me some some Andrews, maybe, and and maybe even throw a Des Bryant like in on a on a cheap flyer in a DFS thing. But I just, 
I can't get excited to play the Ravens right now after what I've seen and throw along all the COVID stuff into the mix. No, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, 110%. Um, I, I'll tell you the, the only, the other game that I, I, I think, I think Carolina, I think the bloom will be off. The, I, I think Minnesota on Sunday is going to, is going to win going away. It's love, a good. I love, yeah. I love them minus four. I, I think they've started to figure it out. I know they didn't look great against Dallas, but they're starting to win games. They're finishing games. Carolina's, you know, Bridgewater, even if he plays, he's still got that bum knee. Uh, McCaffrey's not playing this week. I don't care about the talk about him practicing. There's no way they're bringing him back on this squad with, you know, a week before the bye. I'd be shocked. So, um, yeah, I, I really like Minnesota minus four also. That's that's probably my favorite side of the entire weekend. Darren Zocali, the uh, the jack of all trades, Darren, who helps us out here with uh, whatever we need. Darren, man, thank you so much again. Uh, very happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Hope you guys stay safe over there. Have a good time uh, with your with your loved ones, and I look forward to uh, months into the future. Uh, who knows when? When one day we can uh, we can link up somewhere and have a beer and cheers. You've, I, I definitely owe you a, a nice beer and a meal because you've done a lot of uh, hard work for that's what G said over the last year, man. Thank you so much, and uh, stay safe over there. Hey, listen, it's been my pleasure, and uh, yes, uh, hopefully sometime in the not too distant future we can. You know, get together and, and travel again. And, and God bless everybody listening. Stay safe. Have a happy Thanksgiving, uh, as great as you could possibly make it. And uh, everybody be well. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. It's Thursday, NFL football with Darren Zocali. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be back with more on That's What G Said. Big thank you to Darren there for helping us out with the uh, the three Thanksgiving games. And just keep in mind, uh, uh, things will change a little bit before the, the Sunday game hopefully fingers crossed between the Ravens and the Steelers maybe some players uh, back from injury for the Ravens so perhaps the uh, things change in that game we'll talk about it a little bit on the next episode of that's what G said later in the week we'll have a little more information at least when we record late on on Friday so before we get into the rest of week 12 we have to talk a little bit about Thrive Fantasy the DFS app that's based around prop betting and when you use a promo code G-I-N-O when you make a deposit of anything between 20 and 50 bucks so you might as well make it up to 50 you get an instant bonus credit right into your account matching whatever your deposit is between 20 to 50 deposit 50 use a promo code Gino instant 50 right into your account so this is DFS prop betting They have major contests for the NFL, NBA, baseball, golf, League of Legends. You can play in head-to-head contests. They have free rolls in there. They have contests that started as low as $0.25 or dollar, all the way up to $1,000. NFL Thursday contests, Sunday contests, Monday contests. But the big one, usually the the Sunday contest where they have the $25 entry fee with something around $12,000 in prizes. There's usually around 550 entries or so, so they're capped. You're not playing against hundreds of thousands or millions of other entries there. First place winner gets 2700 bucks. That's what it was the last couple weeks. And you're going to be picking a lineup where you're picking 10 of their 20 Props. You select your lineup based on selecting the over or the under for each of the props available. They also have contests that where you're picking who is going to score touchdowns or who will not score touchdowns. Usually that's a $20 entry fee. Thrive Fantasy 
Use the promo code G-I-N-O and get that instant bonus credit from 20 to 50. Might as well put the 50 in, get the 50 right back. It puts a few bucks in my pocket, makes me look good with one of my sponsors, and uh, gives you plenty of money to go get involved in these Thrive Fantasy Contests. Now, on to week, the rest of week 12, as we move from Thursday to Sunday. So let's talk about the uh, Browns-Jacksonville here. This game, Browns at the Jags, they're up to 7 in some spots, 6.5, 7. Over-under in this game is 49. Browns are 7-3 and three now, 4-6 and six against the spread. The Jags are 1-9, 4-6 against the spread. It looks like it's going to be Mike Lennon starting in this game because, remember, the Jags are trying to tank here. They don't want to bring Minshew back because he gives them their best chance to win. No Miles Garrett for the Browns. He's on the COVID list. Now, Minshew was practicing, so that's just something to keep in mind, but... uh Glennon has been named. If, if for some reason he gets hurt or banged up, they probably would bring Minshew in. Cleveland is a difficult team to get a grasp on right now because they've been playing in so much bad weather. Their last four to five games have just been games where they haven't even been able to throw the ball, which is beneficial for Cleveland because they run the ball really well. They have a pretty good defensive front. They're pretty good on both sides of the line, actually, uh, front, uh, offensively and defensively. Will they try to open it up here? after not even really having an opportunity to throw in those windy, rainy, crazy games that they've been playing in. A couple injuries uh, here for the Jags. Defensive end Josh Allen, um, also missing uh, DJ Hayden and Daniel Thomas. Cornerback Denzel Ward is out for the Browns. They're already missing their other starting cornerback, so that may be the reason why the total is high for these two teams. This is really a big game for Cleveland. They're 7-3. and three. They're in the playoffs right now. Coming up, they've got games at Tennessee, Baltimore, and, and then you know they have to keep up with Vegas and Miami. Baltimore's right behind them too. Huge game for Cleveland. And uh, I, I just, no real strong opinion here. I can't take Cleveland minus the 7 on the road. The Jags have looked bad. Um, I think Cleveland wins this game, but can't give that many points there. As we move along to Arizona, New England. Arizona is a two and a half point favorite at New England. The over under this game is 49 and a half. Arizona six and four straight up, five and five against the spread. New England is four and six straight up, four and six against the spread. Now, New England's not good. I like this spot for them. Keep in mind, Arizona does have a few extra days. They played the Thursday night game last week. But look at their last four games. They beat Seattle 37 34 in an overtime game where they never led until they won the game. They lost to Miami. They beat Buffalo on the Hail Mary, and they came back and lost to Seattle. They could be 0-4 in their last four games. They do pose a bad matchup for the Patriots, as we saw last week. New England has not been good with running Patriots for a while, really throughout the Belichick era. Any A lot of the times are with running quarterbacks. Any, any quarterback that can move, Gives the give the Pats and, and gives Belichick really a little bit of trouble. I, I just like this spot though. I I don't know, especially if it floats up to three. So that's the number I'm waiting for there with New England. If this thing floats up to plus three for New England, I'm taking them. From a coaching perspective, it feels like a mismatch though. Even though I said Belichick doesn't do well against a running quarterback, from just a head coach versus head coach here, Kingsbury, uh, Cliff Kingsbury is. A very good play caller. I think he's a very good offensive mind, but he's not good when it comes to making 
important decisions, whether to kick, whether to go for it uh, on fourth down. Um, and he, he gets really like tight play calling. Sean McVay does this a little bit too as they get closer and closer to scoring, which seems so weird. I'm going to wait for this to get to three, but I, I like New England in here. I'm going to probably play a little New England money line in this one. We move to the Vikings versus the Panthers. This game is around four right now. Vikings minus four against the Panthers over under 48 and a half. Vikings four and six straight up, six and four against the spread. Panthers four and seven straight up, six and five against the spread. Looks like Bridgewater is going to be back in here. He's going to be playing against his old team. Still no McCaffrey for the Panthers, and they're coming off a big 20-0 win where they shut out the Lions with their backup quarterback starting. The Vikings come off of a loss to Dallas. I've been... This is a game I'm staying away from. I've gone back and forth on Carolina all year long. They're just a tough team for me to get a gauge for. Every time I think they're good, they lay an egg. And then I start to think they're not good, and they come back with a couple good performances. So if the total gets to 48, I would play over in here. It's at 48.5 right now. I think these two teams will score against each other. The Vikings have a terrible secondary. The Carolina Panthers have a nice set of wide receivers. And with Teddy back, I think he should be able to pick on that secondary a little bit. Keep in mind, uh, Thielen does have a COVID-positive test. Then it was negative, so monitor if he's going to be playing or not. I don't like the four here with the Vikings. I do think they probably win this game, but I'm more focused on that total. If we can get it around 40, if we can get it at 48, I'll go over there. One of the games I really like this week is the Raiders and the Falcons here. It's the the Falcons plus the three. So Raiders are a three-point favorite on the road at Atlanta, over under 55 and a half in here. Raiders six and four straight up, seven and three against the spread. Falcons three and seven straight up. Four and six against the spread. You got the Raiders coming off of a heartbreaking defeat where they looked so good on Sunday night when they were playing against the Chiefs and Mahomes. They already beat the Chiefs one time this year. They looked like they were going to beat them both times this year. And now they have to go after the Sunday night game. They got to go travel and play early against an Atlanta team that we just saw against New Orleans. And they didn't look that great. But keep in mind, uh, Atlanta was up early in that game. They kicked three field goals. Imagine if instead of being up 9-3 or up 21-3 or even scoring two touchdowns instead of just three field goals there early on. They weren't able to get into the end zone. They let Hill and then the Saints, Taysom Hill, hang around and get comfortable. And then the offense started to, to groove for the Saints, and the Saints' defense is really improved. That's a Saints' defense that is much, much better than this Ra- uh, Raiders' defense in a really bad spot for the Raiders. Yeah, they, they're they number 23 in defensive DVOA. The Saints' warden, are, are, they're number 24, the Raiders. The Saints are number 3. Atlanta back home, tough spot for the Raiders. Give me the Falcons, but you need to take the plus 3. I'd also sprinkle a little money line there on the... Uh, on the Falcons, I think they're going to show up with a good performance, and I think it's just going to be a tough spot for the Raiders. Dolphins, Jets, I'm tempted. I'm tempted to play the Jets here. I just don't think I can. The Dolphins are a seven-point favorite um, on the road playing the Jets. Over-under in this game is 44.5, so the Dolphins are 6-4 and four straight up, 7-3 and three against the spread. Jets 0-10 straight up, 3-7 and seven against the spread. Is Sam Darnold going to be playing in here? He is hopeful to play. What will the mindset be of Tua, the quarterback for the Dolphins, who was benched last week? Wasn't taken out because of an injury. He was benched, just taken out because of poor play. 
Now, the question asked, do you bench him? Right, You bring him in because you say you're going to make the change because you feel like this is what's best for your team to win. Is it right to bench him immediately as soon as things go wrong? We're talking about a one-score game. They weren't down by 20, 25 points in here. This was still a tight game. He was just struggling. They bring in Fitzpatrick, who looked much better. But what does this say to the locker room? When you start going back and forth with a high pick, when... Everybody was already sort of raising eyebrows at the timing of making the Tua change. Now, they were successful with Tua, but when you break down each of the games individually, it wasn't really because of Tua. There were reasons, we've talked about it over the last few weeks, that were sort of unsustainable for Miami. They're scoring all these defensive touchdowns. They were getting great position, uh, field of position every single time they were starting. It's just things that don't, continue to happen for you each and every week and so when things get difficult what was going to happen with Miami and and we saw last week was that just one game did they struggle I don't think they're going to lose this game to the Jets but I think it could be close here are they going to keep getting those defensive scores remember this is a divisional road game that loss at Denver could hurt their their playoff chances this is a stay away for me Giants are now minus five and a half playing against Cincy. They're five and a half favorites on the road against the Bengals. It's going to be Brandon Allen starting here. Uh, unfortunately, the the Joe Burrow injury was just just such a bummer for uh, a guy who has looked so so good. Um, the Giants three and seven straight up, seven and three against the spread. Cincy two seven and one straight up six and four against the spread, and I mean just should the Giants be this big of a road favorite against anyone? They are coming off a bye. This is just a total stay away for me, and a game that I'm just I'm just bummed out about as a football fan because Joe Burrow looked really really good. He was doing this with no offensive line all year. He was getting banged up over and over again, and uh, he's going to be out for a while now. We know the rest of the year this could be a devastating injury, um, ACL, MCL, but uh, bummer, bummer to to see uh, one of the young stars uh, go down early on. We move along to Bills Chargers. Bills minus five and a half. They're playing the Chargers over under in this game is fifty three and a half. And remember, all the Chargers do is play one score games. They are, win whether they win, whether they lose, they're always involved in tight games. It feels like they're both going to score in this game. The Bills 7-3 straight up, 5-5 five five against the spread. Chargers 3-7 straight up, 5-5 five five against the spread. Last seven Charger games all went over. The last ten Bills games, the over is 8-2. And, and the over-under in this game is 53 and a half. So let's look at the Bills' three losses. They lost in a game that was the Tuesday game at Tennessee that got delayed, and then they lost like later that week to Kansas City. And their other loss was in the Hail Mary to Arizona. They've got wins over the Rams, the Seahawks, the Raiders, and the Dolphins. The Bills are a good team. They're coming off the bye right now. Gotta give it up for Herbert. He just continues to look unbelievable each and every week. He's going to have incredible numbers by the end of the year. He's going to break a ton of rookie records. Big game for the Bills. They're right in the mix there with the AFC playoff teams. 
They're in the hunt right now. Three of their next four games are on the road, and the only game they have in that mix at home is against Pittsburgh. They got a tough little stretch coming up here. Got to get the job done against the Chargers, against a team that you're better than, and a team that is not all that well coached, and a team that likes to make mistakes. You cannot lay an egg here to the Chargers. Colts, Titans. I'm a big Colts fan overall. I don't really, and I think they're going to win this game. I, I don't love the number at minus three and a half. The Colts are a three and a half point favorite against the Titans over under in this game, 51. Colts are seven and three straight up, six and four against the spread. Titans seven and three straight up, four and six against the spread. Colts won this game a few weeks ago when they played 34 17. Colts have the number three, number five defense in DVOA. Titans have the number three offense. So the number three offense of the Titans, number five defense of the Colts. Linebacker Jalen Brown out for the year for the Titans. It's the same though as a few weeks ago. I just don't know if defensively they have both the coverage and the the personnel at the, on the front on the defensive front to put the pressure on Rivers. Michael Pittman Jr. is starting to come to life as a big play threat there for the Colts. And remember, the Titans won last week, but the Ravens blew a 10-point lead. I think that was a lot more about the Titans. These are two very good coaches. I find myself always wanting to play against the Titans because you you watch their games and they have a good and efficient offense, but defensively, they're really bad. And when you watch them, they are so beatable. They could have three or four more losses this year. Denver, the Jags, the Texans, the Ravens, the Vikings, all are games that the Titans could have lost. But because of their coach, he sort of picks them up. Really, really good coach. I love both of the coaches here for the Colts and the Titans. We move on to the the Rams 49ers. Rams 49ers. Now, we have the Rams as a 7-point favorite against the 49ers, and this one over-under is 45. Rams are 7 and 3 straight up. They are 4 and 5 against the spread. The 49ers are 4 and 6. They're 4 and 6 against the spread also. But they're off the bye and they're getting healthy. They might have Debo Samuel, Mostert, Tevin Coleman. They could all be back. They have some guys that are on the COVID that were um, on the COVID list that could also be back. This is a team that's had a bad year with a lot of injuries. They would love to spoil uh, the the feel good Rams right now. Who are, who are flying high off of a couple big victories. But remember, the Rams are coming off a big win off of a short week. And remember, Tampa had the ball with the opportunity late to win the game or to tie it. And Brady, he really just threw it away. You know, he, he threw the game away. I like the 49ers in here at plus 7. Uh, it could get up to 7.5, but at 7, 7.5... I think this game could be close, and I think the 49ers have a shot here to kind of catch the Rams napping a little bit off of a, coming off a big win and maybe take the 49ers a, a little for granted with thinking they're going to be beat up. Saints minus 5.5 at the Broncos over-under in this game, 43.5. Saints are 8-2 and two straight up, 5-5 five and five against the spread. Broncos 4-6 straight up, 6-4 and four against the spread. The Saints with Taysom Hill now, who played well, but keep in mind, this is going to be a different story. You had to play Denver, a much better defense after you beat Atlanta. You play the number 9 defense in DVOA in a tough place to play. Now there's some film on you as an actual quarterback for a full game. They can see some of your tendencies. 
Denver is not bad. They're just inconsistent offensively is really Denver's problem. Atlanta had to kick all those field goals. They let the Saints hang around early. Julio Jones was in and out. Kamara didn't really play well with Hill. It sort of looked like it took Kamara out of the game a little bit. I don't know if this is a great spot for the Saints here. If this thing floats up to 6, I definitely jump on the Broncos side. And I still might play it at 5.5, but keep an eye. If it's floating to 6, yeah, we'll jump on the Broncos here. Chiefs, Tampa. Chiefs are a 3.5 point favorite heading to Tampa over under 56. And this is a classic case of what did we just see last? We all just saw Mahomes and the Chiefs come back and win on Sunday Night Football. We all just saw Tom Brady and Tampa look a little old late and lose against the Rams. Chiefs are 9-1 straight up, 6-4 against the spread. Tampa is 7-4 straight up, 5-6 against the spread. The Chiefs defense is not that great. They don't have anyone to put the pressure on Brady like Donald was. They don't have the type of coverage that the Rams have. I think Tampa's going to be able to to go up and down a little bit more on the Chiefs. And not even more. The Raiders were able to do so too. But I think Tampa will be able to score. The only issue is that Tampa sort of looks ready for their bye week. Keep in mind, they have not had a bye yet. They've got 11 games played while most teams in the league have only played 10. And Arians, there's this weird Arians and Brady stuff going on. He's been throwing Brady under the bus, talking about how he's just missing coverage and he's not doing that in practice, but he's missing them in the games. So we got this Kansas City team that is your number one in offensive DVOA and they're number 14 in defense. Tampa, number eight in offensive DVOA, number two in defense. So we got the number one offense versus the number two defense. Tampa's not bad. I think people, every time Tom Brady loses, they want to say it's the end of the world and he's done. But keep in mind, these are his four losses this year. They lost to the Saints twice, the Rams, and the Bears by a point. They had the ball down three against the Rams on their own 38 with two minutes left with a very, very high chance to at least kick a field goal, and they turned the ball over. Two games remaining in Week 12. We'll talk a, a lot more about these on the, the Friday episode, too. It's the Packers minus 8.5 against the Bears over-under in this game is 45. Packers 7-3 and three straight up, 6-4 and four against the spread. Bears 5-5 five and five straight up, 5-5 five and five against the spread. Eight and a half just feels like a lot, especially for a game that could have bad weather here. If that's the case, and it's going to be a low over-under, which only is 45, then then more than a touchdown, every point matters so much more when the total is low. So this is a game I'm going to keep an eye on. We'll see what the weather is like, but I I can't go to... If, if it's a weather game where the passing attack of the, Patr- uh, the Packers is neutralized a little bit, then the Bears, if they don't have to throw the ball as much, they may not be as far behind, right? And their defense should be able to at least slow the Packers down somewhat. So, you know, I obviously feel like I'm leaning to the Bears, but I got to see more about this. This this isn't a game I'm going to be playing. Seattle, minus 5 at the Eagles, over under 50. This is the Monday night game. Talk about weird stuff between the quarterback and the coach. We've got it going on in Tampa with Arians and with Brady. We've got it going on here in the Eagles with uh, Dougie talking about Wentz. He doesn't know if he's playing. He was it's so strange interaction with the reporter. Is he our starter? I don't know. As of today, well, today's only Wednesday. We're not sure. Maybe Sunday, Monday. Well, I get yeah, yeah. I guess it was it was bizarre. So we got the seven and three Eagles, six and four. 
are the 7-3 and three Seahawks, 6-4 and four against the spread. The 3-6-1 straight-up Eagles, 3-7 and seven against the spread. They've got uh, Seattle's got the extra time off. They had the Thursday night game that they won. The Eagles are only half of a game up in this division right now. And so the Eagles play this game against Seattle. Then they play at Green Bay. They play at the Saints, at Arizona, at Dallas, and Washington. They could lose their next four games and then have the two division games left. The Eagles are in some big trouble here. Big trouble here as Wentz leads the league in sacks, fumbles, and interceptions thrown. We will get more into it and give out some uh, overall official picks on the Friday show, but some of the games that were were given a look to um, initially, the keep an eye on the Broncos. We'll be looking at the... Tampa Chiefs game a little bit. That's a number that we're looking to. Atlanta is definitely a, a game that we're going to be playing a, a little bit there too as uh, some games we'll be looking at and we'll, we'll see what the numbers move up to in the next couple of days. Um, anything else? Yeah, let's see. And then the Patriots. Patriots was the other one. Patriots and, and Falcons, probably the two that I'm I'm the most intrigued by so far coming up this week. That is in the NFL. We're going to move on over from the NFL to the NBA and talk about all of the big moves in the NBA. So let's start up uh, alphabetically. We'll go from top to bottom, and then I'm going to break down the rosters that I'm really intrigued by. So uh, Atlanta with some uh, some big acquisitions for the Hawks. This team is going to look a lot different this year. They add Gallinari, Bogdanovich, Rondo, Chris Dunn, and Okongwu. This team, we'll talk about them a little bit more. Very, very intriguing team. The Boston Celtics, I mean, they didn't do a whole ton. Uh, added Tristan Thompson, Jeff Teague, a couple of draft picks there for Boston, uh, Nesmith and Peyton Pritchard, Yamadar. They, uh, and they're still working on the sign-and-trade to see if they can get something back for losing out on Gordon Hayward. The Brooklyn Nets didn't do a whole lot. Jeff Green, Bruce Brown, Landry Shamit, one of their draft picks. We know uh, this team was really interested in James Harden, but we're not able to work out a deal to get Harden. Charlotte Hornets are going to look different. LaMelo Ball, they drafted. They also signed Gordon Hayward to a big deal. We'll break down their roster in just a bit. The Bulls drafted Patrick Williams, um, added Garrett Temple in free agency, didn't really do a whole else, a whole lot else. Cavaliers were pretty quiet. They uh, absorbed JaVale McGee in a trade. Uh, They re-signed Matthew Delladova. They signed Damian Dotson, or they uh, they got Damian Dotson via trade, and they drafted uh, Okoru fifth overall. Let's see. Let's see here. The Mavs. They got Josh Richardson, which is good. They also got James Johnson. So a couple nice moves. They were able to, to flip Curry into Richardson, who should be a really nice fit for them. Uh, not bad for Dallas there. Didn't like Denver. They lost out uh, on Jeremy Grant, Mason Pumley, Torrey Craig. Jeremy Grant was really good for them last year, and he just wanted a bigger role elsewhere. So they uh, they bring in Jermichael Green. And they just don't look like they got a whole lot better. Detroit was just doing some weird stuff. They have so many bigs that they were involved with. They had a lot of early draft picks. Uh, Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart, Bay, 
uh, Savin Lee. They were able to get Dylan, uh, Dylan Wright and Musa Magruder. Deadman, who I believe they waived after. They did get Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley, Jaleel Okaford, and Josh Jackson. So, a lot of bigs on this team. Uh, one of the rosters we'll talk about. The Warriors. Unfortunately, the Clay Thompson news. We know he's hurt. Done for the year. They drafted James Wiseman. They did get Kelly Oubre. We were able to get him via trade. And Kent Bazemore. So, uh, yeah, the Warriors... They go from a team that felt like they were a legitimate title contender to, you know, maybe fringe playoff team. Houston, no idea what they're doing uh, over there. They did get Christian Wood, Tate, and they did sign DeMarcus Cousins. They also brought in one of their draft picks, Kenyon Martin Jr., but they lost Covington, Jeff Green, and uh, Austin Rivers as a couple of their rotation players. Pacers did almost nothing. Indiana Pacers, just with one of their draft picks. Clippers did add Serge Ibaka, Luke Kennard, but they lost Landry Shamit, Montrez Harrell, Edge Michael Green, Reggie Jackson, who were all playing big roles for them and were all part of part of the rotation. We got the Lakers, who they did a great job. Uh, they really did. They added uh, Montrez Harrell, Wesley Matthews, Markeith Morris, Dennis Schroeder, and... Uh, Mark uh, Dennis Schroeder, Mark Gasol, and the re-signed KCP. They uh, they did a really, really good job. They lost Danny Green, JaVale McGee, Rondo, Avery Bradley, Dwight Howard, who are not going to be small losses for them, but it feels like they upgraded in a lot of different spots. Memphis didn't do a whole lot, just some of their, uh, their draft picks. They acquired uh, Mario Hazonia via a trade. The Miami Heat made a draft pick of Precious Achua. They also brought in Mo Harkless and Avery Bradley. And uh, they got rid of Jay Crowder. But Miami, they should be they should be solid. The Bucks. Big trade for Drew Holiday. We talked about that a lot last week. Uh, DJ Augustine they brought in. Bobby Portis. They brought in Jalen Adams. They lose Bledsoe, Hill, Wesley Matthews. Robin Lopez, Kyle Korver, uh, Ilyasova, Williams. That's a lot of guys who were in the mix for them, though, last year. The T-Wolves, they brought back Ricky Rubio. They have a, uh, brought in Juancho Hernan Gomez. And the number one draft pick, Anthony Edwards. They brought in uh, Leandro Bolomaro and Jaden McDaniels. Pelicans brought in Stephen Adams and Eric Bledsoe drafted Kirill Lewis Jr., Willie Herman Gomez, Wayne Gabriel, and Thornwell are in the mix for them. The Knicks didn't do a whole lot. You know, rumored for Hayward, rumored for Westbrook, and then the Knicks end up being really quiet. They bring in Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel, Austin Rivers, and uh, they draft Obi Toppin, who they're super high on. They also got uh, Amari Spellman and Jacob Evans via a trade. The Thunder are a team that's so difficult to keep uh, tabs on. They drafted uh, Pozevsky, Theo Melodon, and Krejic. They brought in Horford, Ty Jerome, Leck, Pore, Ariza, Justin Jackson, George Hill, Darius Miller, TJ Leaf. I think their roster 
looks something like this with Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Al Horford, Darius Baisley, Mike Muscala, Ty Jerome, Lou Dort, and Pajewski. I think I think it's something like that. The Magic didn't do a whole lot. They drafted Cole Anthony. They brought in Dwayne Bacon. Philly, they did quite a bit, and I like what Philly did with their roster. A uh, couple draft picks. Then you bring in Danny Green, Terrence Ferguson, Seth Curry, Tony Bradley. So you got a couple shooters to spread things out. You also bring in Dwight Howard. So now you got a couple bigs to help back up the bigs. They just feel like a team that fits a lot better this year. Phoenix Suns, they bring in Jalen Smith, the 10th pick. Chris Paul on the trade. Abel Nadir, Jay Crowder, which I liked. And then they get uh, Etwan Moore and Dario Saric, which should really help their bench quite a bit. Really high on Portland and Phoenix too. You know, we get to Portland, they bring in Trey, uh, Robert Covington via a trade, and his Cantor comes in, Derek Jones Jr. So you add them to, you know, hopefully, uh, you bring, you know, you bring back Mello, and hopefully Collins is healthy for you. This team looks a lot deeper than they were last year. The Kings just added Whiteside. Uh, they drafted Halliburton, Woodward, and Ramsey. A lot of people are high on Halliburton, but their big move was um, maxing out Fox recently. Really quiet Spurs did basically nothing, just uh, their draft picks. The Raptors lost out on a couple big pieces, but they did draft uh, Flynn and Harris, 29th and 59th pick overall. They brought in Aaron Baines, uh, re-signed Boucher, brought in DeAndre Bembry, and Alex Len. But they lost Abaca and Gasol, which should be big losses for them. Not a whole lot from the Jazz. They re-signed, or they brought back uh, Derek Favors, and they have the 27th and 39th picks that they drafted. The Wizards, just their draft picks. They brought in Anthony Gill, Robin Lopez, and Raul Nito. So not a lot on the Wizards front, we heard a lot of rumors about John Wall, but nothing from Wall, nothing from Westbrook, nothing from Harden. They all are where they were just a few weeks ago. So let's talk about the teams that uh, I'm most intrigued by, either in the positive way or a negative way. Let's talk about the positive ones first. Um, we'll start with the Lakers. And obviously, I'm a big Laker fan. I think if you ask around, everyone will say they really love what the Lakers did. Because they, they continue on this, giving them so much versatility. That's what's amazing about Anthony Davis. With a big like that who can stretch the floor, but who's so good defensively and couldn't be such a defensive anchor for you down low, there's so few players in the league that are like that. And so with him, they can do so many different things. The Lakers are going to probably have a starting lineup that'll be Anthony Davis, Marc Gasol, LeBron James, Wesley Matthews Jr., and KCP. They'll have Schroeder, Caruso, Kuzma, Markeith Morris, and Montrez Harrell coming off the bench with Taylor Horton Tucker, who's going to get a lot more run this year too. I mean, that's 11 deep for the Lakers. They look even better than they were last year. Now keep in mind, Gasol, will, I, I think he's going to start, and I think you keep Schroeder on the bench, mainly because you look at this roster, the one thing they still may be lacking a little bit is what? Ball handlers. They have two, because their guards, Wes Matthews, he's not a point guard, really. KCP, he's not a point guard or a ball handler type. Caruso, he can play point guard, but we've seen that's one of his weaknesses, really, is kind of sort of setting up the offense. And so it's really Schroeder 
and LeBron as the two ball handlers. I think you separate those two early, and then they can close the game out together. That way, when LeBron needs to come out, Schroeder can run the show there, and you always have one of your better ball handlers on the floor. I think you start with Marcus Gasol big, and you probably end up finishing with AD as your five, unless you're playing against a bigger team or Mark's playing well. Think about how many different combinations they can close games out with. I mean, it'll probably be LeBron, AD, and Schroeder, and then who? I mean, Wes Matthews, KCP, Caruso, Kuzma, Markeith, Montrez. I mean, any combinations of them that are playing well. Ooh, I'm excited. Ooh, I'm excited. I'm excited for the Portland Trailblazers. Lilliard, CJ McCollum, Rodney Hood, Covington, and Nurkic. They're going to have Carmelo, Gary Trent Jr., Simons, Cantor, Derek Jones Jr., Zach Collins, and Harry Giles. It's a good, deep roster. That is their, like the best of their last two years of teams put together. To me, that's a top five team in the West, if healthy. I like the Atlanta Hawks. We're talking Trey Young, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, Clint Capella. Now we got Gallinari, Bogdanovich. You got the veteran presence of Rondo, just as a backup point guard. Chris Dunn, Kevin Herter, and Okongwu. That's a good squad. 76ers, they look much better on paper to me. Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, Danny Green. Then you got Dwight Howard. Um, you got Zaire Smith, Tybal, Shake Milton, Cormans. They probably need a little bit of help on the bench. Or we'll see how they set things up. But they, they're still probably a little, little bit of help with the depth. But as far as what their lineup, their starting lineup looks like, with Simmons, Embiid, Harris, Curry, Danny Green, is that it? Are they gonna, is, is Ben Simmons the point guard? Is that how they... Maybe. How about the Suns? Many people high on the Suns in this roster with Chris Paul now, Devin Booker, Mikel Bridges, Jake Crowder, and DeAndre Ayton. A bench of Galloway, Langston Galloway, Etwan Moore... Cameron Johnson, Dario Saric, Jalen Smith, Payne. This is a good-looking roster. I think those are the team, the my five favorite teams. I don't think they're the five best teams in the league, but as far as what I like in the offseason, the moves that the teams made as far as improving their teams, I think Lakers, Portland, Atlanta, Philly, and the Suns. Other teams, okay, the team that I'm I'm scratching my head on is the Pistons. They got Blake Griffin, Derrick Rose, Svee Mikhailuk, uh, Demboya. Then they got their three draft picks, Killian Hayes, Stuart Bay. They paid Jeremy Grant a ton of money. They paid Mason Plumlee to come. Jaleel Okafor. They have Delon Wright and Josh Jackson. I don't know. Seems like a weird, weird roster. The Charlotte roster is going to be better. It's going to be Terry Rozier, Devontae Graham, Gordon Hayward. P.J. Washington, Cody Zeller, LaMelo Ball, Miles Bridges, uh, Malik Monk, and Bismack Biombo. That's a good squad. That's a squad with, with a healthy Hayward that is a, a team that could battle for a bottom playoff spot. You got the Pelicans roster now with Lonzo, Eric Bledsoe, Brandon Ingram, Zion, Steven Adams, J.J. Redick, Josh Hart, Kira Lewis, Nico Melli, and uh, Alexander Walker. It's an interesting roster. It's all going to depend with for them on Zion. Can he continue to take steps? Brandon Ingram got the big payout. Shout out to Brandon. Big money, EBI. Yeah, you know, everyone else, other thoughts. The Bucks, they messed up that Bogdanovich trade. Toronto, you know, they did bring back Van Fleet, but uh, losing a Baca Gasol could hurt. Boston, we'll see what they can do with Hayward if they can 
turn that into a sign and trade. They were able to extend Tatum. Indy couldn't trade Oladipo. The Heat were able to recently extend Bam. They signed Drogic, and then you know they brought in Avery and Harkless. The Nets, KD, Kyrie, Joe Harris. We'll see what the what they look like with them. They were able to sign Harris for big money. No Hayward, no Russ for the Knicks. Denver losing out on Jeremy Grant. The Clippers losing out on Trez, Jamichael, and Shamit. They do pay Morris four years, sixty-four million. Felt like a lot for Morris when the Lakers get the Morris twin at the minimum. And then the Warriors, is it going to be good enough with Curry, Draymond, Oubre Jr., Wiseman, Wiggins? Is that enough for them to be a playoff team, to be a team that can really legitimately contend for a title? We are less than a month away from the start of the NBA season. We're only a few weeks away from training camp. We're going to be talking about NBA each and every week here on That's What G Said. One of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said is Cindy Carava Full Service Realtor. Her website is cindycarava.com. C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. She can help you out with anything you need as a full service realtor. Selling, purchasing, leasing. She can help you find vendors like handyman painters and landscapers. She can connect you and help you get pre-approved for a home loan. She covers all parts of the San Gabriel Valley, North San Diego County, Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho Santa Fe. And right now, she's even, even offering you a Black Friday sale. So check this out. If you list, purchase, or refi your home, with Cindy Carava by December the 31st. She will compensate you for up to $1,500 for services, including appraisal, physical inspection, and home warranty. She wants to get you and your family into a new home this holiday season. For more information, give her a call, 626-394-6400. That is Cindy Carava website, cindycarava.com. Make sure to let her know that Gino sent you. Up next... The weekend in stable duel. This is a, to me, always a really underrated personal favorite racing weekend of mine. This Thanksgiving weekend. I mentioned at the very beginning of the show how many stakes races there are a couple different tracks over the next few days. We're going to be talking about a bunch of them here on That's What G Said. And Stable Duel, who is now accepting credit and debit card deposits. Awesome. More ways for you to deposit and get involved in Stable Duel contest. Real quick, what is Stable Duel for those of you who don't know? Stable Duel is a an app that has daily horse racing contest where you create lineups based on selecting horses from a certain racetrack and, and their races that are running. So for example, on Thursday, you can play and you're going to be playing contests that are comprised of the Laurel Park races on Thursday, the contest is $25 to get in, and you, if you finish in the top 40%, you will triple your money from 25 turn it into 75 At Del Mar, they have a free ride Thanksgiving contest as a Thanksgiving special to all the fans, free to enter with $1,000 in prizes. Check that out. They also have a $100 Del Mar Top 10 contest and a $10 entry at Charlestown. On Friday, it's day three of the Delta Turkey Bowl. What does this mean? All of the first three days, whatever the pools are, Stable Duel will be matching half of that pool and then putting it into the final pool on Saturday, which is day four of the Delta Turkey Bowl. And so that Saturday pool is going to be huge. 
What does that mean? We want to play in the the pool on Friday to build the Saturday pool up. And the Friday pool still pays out all their normal prizes. It's a $50 entry fee, normal payouts. It's just a way to build up the pool to, to force Stable Duel to pay even more and put more into the Saturday pool. They have Delmar contest on Friday for $5 and then $100 top 10. There's a, a Penn National contest, a $25 double up. On Saturday, the big one, the Delmar $10,000 Invitational. $100 entry to get into this contest with $10,000 in prizes. Yes, 10000 in prizes. We are going to have a special show. That's what G said. To cover the Del Mar Saturday and focus on the big contest on Saturday at Del Mar and at Delta Downs. Special show coming out just to focus on those contests alone. Del Mar and Delta Downs, because it's the Turkey Bowl finale, a $50 entry. Half of each of the Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday pools will all be put together in the Saturday pool. There's going to be at least $1,700 in prizes there. There's also a Tampa $25 triple-up contest on Saturday. Then on Sunday, Laurel has a $25 triple-up. Del Mar has a $10 contest and a $50 top 10. That's your next four days at Stable Duel, just loaded with contest and different opportunities for us as we jump right into the week in horse racing. I'm going to start at Churchill Downs. I'm going to start on Thursday, Thanksgiving at Churchill Downs. So get those past performances out for Thursday, the 26th. And let's go to Churchill. We're going to start with race number two. This one isn't necessarily a horse I'm going to be playing to win. Maybe just one to throw into some of your early exotics. That's the number the one ransack who it feels like this is just a good spot dropping back down for him. I'm a little concerned about the rail, but I I think the the trip the distance should hit him right between the eyes, and I'm expecting a, a good effort from ransack. Anything around eight to one or so feels like what he should be. Throw him into your early pick fours or pick fives. We move on to race number three at Churchill. I like the two more is more. Feels like going long for her is what she wants to do and and what she will be doing well the two horses right next to her should be flashing a little bit of speed I think Miss Deputy Star I think Bold Article will both be flashing a little bit of pace in here and she should be tracking right behind them maybe sitting in third stretching back out she was a winner going a mile over this racetrack two starts back and now she'll try to stretch it to a mile in a 16th doesn't feel like it should be any issue for her whatsoever. The last race, I'm not worried about it. it it's a six and a half furlong race. The stretch back out to a mile and a sixteenth is what she wants. Toss the first two race toss her first race sprinting on the turf. Toss her last race sprinting. She wants to go longer. More is more. The number two will make a win wager if we can get anything around five to one. We move on to race number five on Friday. And I'm looking at the one good penny in here there just is not much other pace. This filly's going to drop. She's got the inside draw. She's got experience. She's going to be either on the lead, I think, or sitting second in here. Her last start, she, from the inside, she just didn't get away cleanly. And she's shown speed going the mile at Churchill Downs and at Ellis Park. She was right up on the lead. And her races when she shoot when she showed speed were her best efforts. That has to be the game plan with her in this spot. Let's send 
try to secure a really nice spot from the rail. I think she'll be forwardly placed either on the lead or sitting really close. Good Penny. Anything around 7-2 to will make a win wager on Good Penny as we move to the seventh race with the number two, Anoush, whose debut was good. She was fourth that day. It was a slowish start. She was 10th of 11 early on, and she was stuck down inside. She was about 10 lengths off. She started to move really well, and she was right up onto the heels of Arrival. She had to angle around, and she closed really well for fourth. She sort of flattened out late, but then had a nice gallop out. So she feels like one that will appreciate additional real estate in here. The number two, Anoush. Anything around 5-2 to two will make a win wager on the two in race number seven. At Churchill. We go to the eighth race. I'm looking at the number eight in here. That is Charming Lady. So last time out, she had the inside trip and she got the shuffle. She lost a few lengths. She kept inside and she came on again late. She had a brutal trip. And seven furlongs is a distance that seems like it should be very, very good for her. I think she's going to end up sitting a, a really nice third. She was just farther back and ended up getting caught in between and it just was not a good trip last time out. If she's anything over 5-1, to one, around 6-1, to one, I'm playing her to win the number 8 in race number 8. Charming lady. Moving to the ninth in here. Uh, nothing too crazy or outside the box. I do think Tough Love is the one to beat. The 12 Chewing Gum would be the price horse that I would be willing to uh, to throw into some of the exotics. And the 6 Rubis will probably be tough to leave out of a lot of the exotics. So those would be the 3 for me. 11, 12, 6 in race number 9. And then in the 10th race, which is the Fall City, uh, I'm going to our Super Freak. She had a slow start and she couldn't get close up. And that's where she wants to be. Her best races are when she's right on the lead, forwardly placed, or sitting close. I think she's going to send hard today. Look around in here. Where else is the pace coming from? There's not a ton of it. If somebody wants to go, I think our super freak will break well and just end up sitting second in here. But she gets the lead, uh, I think. Our super freak. That's the number five in race number 10. Anything around 7-2 to two will make a win wager on her. So um, horses that I'm looking at um, in race number 2, throw the 1 into your pick 5. In the 3rd, the number 2, more is more. In the 5th, the number 1, Good Penny. In the 7th, the 2, Anoush. In the 8th, the 8, Charming Lady. In the ninth, I have 11 with 2, 6. And in the 10th, the number 5, R Super Freak. That is Churchill Thursday, Thanksgiving. Let's flip over to Del Mar for Thursday, November the 26th. And keep in mind, Del Mar has that free ride Stable Duel Contest. Just download the Stable Duel app. Create your, your stable. Create your entry. And you can get in for free. $1,000 in prizes. They also have a top 10 contest. It's a $100 entry fee to get in. And uh, you have to pick a lineup based on 10 horses throughout the 9 races. I guess uh, the 8 races for Friday at... Uh, for Now I'm all over the place. The 8 races for Del Mar Thursday. We're talking Thursday. Thanksgiving Del Mar 8 race card. So let's go to race number two. That's going to be my first play for uh, for Thursday. It's going to be the two Mamba Cool who puts the blinkers on. He's going to sit the in a really good spot. He sat third, about three lengths off behind two horses that were battling last time out. Uh, I think he adds the blinkers in here, and instead of sitting, the trip is going to be send hard. There's not a lot of other speed. Down towards the inside is Mamba Cool. 
going to go early. Anything around 4-1, to one, let's make a win wager on the deuce. Mamba, cool. He's definitely a horse that I feel like will get bet, so he's probably one you want to use in your stable dual lineups too because you want these horses that get bet down from their morning lines because they, then you're getting a horse who is a 4-1 to one shot that you paid for like an 8-1 to one shot. So uh, that may be the case with Mamba, cool. Anything around 4-1 to one will make a win wager. In the third race, the number 8 Secret Courier will be a horse who is my top selection in a lot of my tickets in here. He is going to go second start off the bench, and in his last start, going six furlongs, he was tracking from third. He was about four lengths off in the two path. And the winner was able to clear off early. Secret Courier loomed up. He got within a couple lengths, and he was battling for the minor awards. Now he's going to go second start off the bench, stretches out. He should get the lead in here. A couple of races he's coming out of have become very productive where the horses that have beat him have come back and won next out. I like Secret Courier at anything around 7-2 to two will make a win wager in race number 3. We move along to race number 4, and I'm looking at the 6 in here. Awesome drive. This filly was in her most recent start tracking inside, and then she was immediately in tight. She was settling in between horses about three lengths off. She's chasing lone speed unicorn. And Awesome Drive was stuck inside, was in the two path, and she had nowhere to go until it was, you know, too late. Sneaky effort. You don't really see the trouble that Awesome Drive had to deal with. Anything around five to one or so. We're going to make a win wager on Awesome Drive, the number six in race number four. Let's move to race number six here. It is the stakes race, and I'm looking at one of the shippers here. I'm looking at Blame Debbie. If she is anything around 5-2, to two, I'll make a win wager. And to me, the number eight, Blame Debbie, looks like a late exotic single. If you're playing any of the, the late exotics here, she is sharp. She's crossed the wire three straight times. One of them, she was DQ'd. But she's shown so much versatility. She can sit close. She can come from off the pace. She can pass horses. She comes in for motion, and I think she's going to be really tough in this spot. That's the number eight, Blame Debbie. In race number seven, I'm looking at the number eight, Call You Tomorrow. Call You Tomorrow is a horse who, I think on the drop in class, is just going to end up falling into a better spot against this softer group. Ran into a sharp horse last time out, and this is not a strong group. So Call You Tomorrow, uh, I think, will fall into a really nice trip here, sitting you know just a couple lengths off. Anything around 3-1 to one or so seems fair on Call You Tomorrow. In the second race, the number 2, Mamba Cool. In the third, the number 8, Secret Courier. In the fourth, the number 6, Awesome Drive. In the sixth, the number 8, Blame Debbie. And in the seventh, the number 8, Call You Tomorrow. That is Thursday over at Del Mar. Holiday season is the perfect time to check out our friends over at sarahcandles.com. C-E-R-A candles.com. Use that promo code G-I-N-O. It'll get sent off your purchase there. So these are all natural, clean burning, high quality candles. None of those toxins or carcinogens or pollutants that you get in some of the other leading brands of candles. 
quality ingredients, quality packaging, affordable prices, longer burning. These were created by people who love candles. They started out experimenting, trying to create the perfect candle, and now they've blossomed into Sarah Candle Company holiday season coming up. Perfect gift for your friends, your family, your loved ones, co-workers. Promo code G-I-N-O gets you 10% off your purchase. They've got 25 different scents available, three different sizes, Fragrance oils infused with natural essential oils. They've even got instructions and details on how to keep your candle clean and ensure the perfect burn. C-E-R-A candles.com, Sarah Candle Company. Don't forget that promo code G-I-N-O. It'll get you 10% off of your purchase. We head over to Friday Racing, and we're going to talk about Churchill Downs first on Friday with the Grade 1 Clark as the feature here. Uh, looks like uh, a card that I thought was was pretty darn good. Um, to kick things off in race number one, a couple horses I would use in some of the early exotics. I don't know who goes with the three Niles Channel early on. Uh, he exits a very live race in here, and he's going to be tough on the front end. I thought the eight was a total wild card on the drop-in class. Shaka, who comes into a new barn, and this sort of just looks like starting over for a horse who's faced better. So I would use the, the two of them, the three and the eight, some of the early exotics. Race number two, Mechanicville, is a horse who I would be looking at to make a win wager on if we can get around 5-1 to one or so. He ran into some trouble going into the first turn. He ended up getting shuffled, and he was stuck inside. He angled off to the two-path. He ended up getting up to fourth. He was within about a length. He got up to third, making a three-wide move. The top two horses in that race came back to win. Now he's going to be making his second start against the claiming company, dropping in class again. Give me Mechanicville at around 5-1 to one in race number two at Churchill on Saturday. We move to race number three. This is not a race to play, just a race we're going to look at. A couple horses that are sort of polarizing. Silver State, who was a, a nice horse earlier on in the year, multiple graded stakes placed. And then you have Dennis's Moment, who was your Breeders' Cup favorite back in 2019. And then he came back in the Fountain of Youth and didn't show anything. And he's been gone for quite some time. So he's making his return to the races. Just a race to watch the number two and the number four. We won't be really playing anything in this one. We move to race number four, Maiden Special Weights here, two-year-olds. They're going to be going five-and-a-half furlongs. These Philly, uh, this is a, a Colt, excuse me, the the five I'm looking at, Dr. Roger. He is a two-year-old son of Frosted, a, and the dam of this one, Peach Brew, was a five-time winner, earned 320000 won the debut going five-and-a-half furlongs on the dirt. was actually a grade three winner that has produced three foals. Two of them have won. And this is a barn that's really good first time out. If you go back over the last five years, they're around 15% or so. They've actually won with two of their last three first-time starters, and they're just rolling at the meet right now. The number five, Dr. Roger, will be using an all-exotic. going to make a win wager at anything over 5-2. to two. In race number five, I'll look at a couple in here. I thought the two honorable memory is probably the one to catch, and I'll make sure I use... Her in a, a lot of the exotics. The number five, it, the number five, never forget, will try to show some speed. I think Jilted Bride should be able to get enough pace cutting back to to get a nice setup in here. So the Jilted Bride at six and a half furlongs, I think, is the key for this one. Anything around five to two makes sense. Coming back uh, off of the break, 
drawn really well, proven sprinting, and, and ran well going longer. So distance in the in-between trip should be no problem. Kept company with some nice ones earlier on in the year. Let's use the six along with the two honorable memory in race number five. No real strong opinion in the six, so we'll just move to race number seven. And I'm going to the number eight in here, Stripping, who was tracking inside and was like maybe sixth or so, but only about two lengths off the pace and angled to the outside and just went right by. Three-wide move without really being asked. Was super impressive winner. Ends up drawing off, wins by seven-plus. That is Stripping, who will try to stretch out a little bit more in here. Visually very impressive. Anything around three to one, I will be uh, playing this one to win. Make sure to use Stripping in your exotics. The eighth race, I'm looking at the nine. My last first kiss Probably around 6-1 to one is what I would want to play a, a win wager on my last first kiss. Who's going to stretch back out from 6 furlongs to a, a mile and a 16th. Second off the 6 months break. Probably going to be sitting 3rd or 4th in here from the outside. So I think should fall into a really nice trip. Throw the 9, my last first kiss into some of your exotics. In the ninth race, the two signalmen tried to go longer last time total excuse you can put a line right through it that's just not the trip that he wants he has run well at Churchill always he ran really well two starts back going a mile and a 16th and you can make legitimate excuses for some of his poor performances and you can go back and start to cross him out and he's be, he's a little more consistent than you think signalman much better spot for him today likes it at Churchill four to one or so is about what I want to make a win wager on him I'd probably want a similar price or so as we move to the Clark on uh, the horse who I like. I'm going to play the 5 over the 3 and the 12. Tons of respect for Code of Honor. Tons of respect for By My Standards. But Aurelius Maximus had a little bit of trouble in his last start, and that may have cost him the win. He had a really good start from the outside, and he was sitting in a great spot. He was sitting second, just off the lead. He was in the 2 path, about a length off. And a couple horses to his outside made an early move. So he ends up getting caught in between horses. He's too deep of four. Instead of being in the middle of this traffic, he ends up taking back and takes back a length. He ends up losing his momentum. And he has to go wide and go around. And that was probably the difference between winning and losing when you're only beaten, you know, a long neck in the end. I think with a slightly different trip, Aurelius Maximus would have won that race, and he's the type of horse who makes his own trip with that nice tactical running style. Let's put the 5 on top of the 3 and the 12. I'll make a win wager on Aurelius Maximus if we can get anything around 5-1. to one. And a horse I might be singling to close things all out is the number 1, My Main Girl. She's raced twice in her debut it was back in November of 2019. She drew the rail. She showed a lot of speed. She was favored that day, but she had a tough trip. She faded. She came back about a year later, a little less than a year. She was a step slow from the inside, then right up on the heels of uh, the leaders. She was tracking inside. She's just loaded, but with nowhere to go, waiting for room, trying to find a way through. She got room to the two path. She took the lead, and then she just faded late. That was her first start in a year. She needed the race. Now she's going to go second off the bench. It's going to be her third start overall, and now her third time down on the inside. So she's probably got it a little bit more figured out than some other young fillies when they have to deal with the rail. My main girl, the game plan for her might just be go. 
I don't know, there's some other speed in here, but I think she's the quickest with the inside draw. Just break alertly, send hard. My main girl, the number one in race number 11. So on Friday at Churchill, in the first, uh, I'm going to be using the three and the eight in some exotics. Second race, I'll make a, a wager on the two Mechanicville. Third, I'm look. Uh, third, just a, a race to keep an eye on. The fourth race, we're playing the five Doctor Roger. In the fifth, I'll be using the two Honorable Memory with the six Jilted Bride. In the seventh, the eight Stripping. In the eighth, the nine My Last First Kiss. In the ninth, Signalman. The two. In the tenth, Aurelius Maximus. And in the eleventh, My Main Girl, the number one as a late Exotics single. We move along from. Churchill to Aqueduct. A couple plays for Friday at Aqueduct. Get those past performances out. Uh, we'll start in race number one at Aqueduct with the number five Reunion Tour who debuted and he just got destroyed at the start. He was 10th, about 10 lengths off and it was in the slop. And after the, the start, he actually ran well up the inside. He just had no shot with that beginning on that kind of racetrack. The winner was a wire-to-wire winner that day. Reunion Tour. I think he's going to run a lot better. A little more distance to work with in here. Let's use the five reunion tour. Make a win wager if we can get anything around three to one. Let's move to race number five for uh, the next play at Aqueduct. And this is a stakes race here. This is the Geo Ponte. I got uh, introduced to Bodie Cream when he was running back at Sam Houston in uh, January 2020. This is a nice horse. And this is a slightly softer spot than the one that he was just in, where he finished a, a really nice third behind Get Smoking. He had a good start. He settled inside. He was fourth, about four lengths off. He was tucked in. He was chasing Lone Speed that day, who was the eventual winner. And he he was, you know, down on the inside, and he never really had a shot to stretch his legs. He got some room. But it, it, he never really had a, an opening to, to really get going after waiting, 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 waiting. So with a better trip, a little bit of a cleaner trip, he's a winner in this race. The problem is is he does have a, a tough post towards the outside. But I'm not going to give you anything too outside the box in here. It, to me, it's him and it's Basquiat. Those are the two I'm looking at, the uh, the 11 and the 4. And neither one of them is going to be a huge price. Bosquiat has faced some nice horses in his last three races, right? He's lost three in a row, but he lost to the grade one next out winner, Happy Saver. He lost to next out stakes winner, Proven Strategies, and next out stakes winner, Ever Dangerous. So he's lost to three consecutive horses who have come back to win stakes races. 11-4 in race number 5 at Aqueduct. Anything around 7-2, to two, I'd make a win wager on, on Bodie Cream there. We move to the 8th race, this is the other stakes race on the card Again, I can't really get too too crazy, too outside the box in this one uh, I do think the 5 and the 6 are super logical Thankful and Mrs. Danvers, they're going to be tough again right back in here Mrs. Danvers probably the one to beat uh, Even though Thankful has defeated her before She had a tougher trip that day, did Mrs. Danvers So I'll use those two I thought the four, My Sweet Wife If you're looking for a, a price horse to include Would be the next horse to uh, throw into some of your exotics So six five four for me in race number 8 But the horse I, I am intrigued by on the Aqueda card uh, on, on Friday Is the number 7 in race number 9 And that is No Mo Lady Who, she had a trough a trough trip, right? A troubled tough. You see what I did there? I combined the two of them. A trough, trough tip. Where she was a tough trip. Where she was a step slow. Settled fit. She was inside. She's about five lengths off. 
And she was waiting to go, but she had no room down there. She tried to angle out, no room, ducked back to the inside, and got stopped. Sneaky good effort from No Mo Lady, the number seven. If we get anything around six to one, I'm going to make a win wager in race number nine in Aqueduct. So in the first, the number five reunion tour. In the fifth race, we'll look uh, at 411. In the eighth race, it'll be 654 for me. And then in race number nine, the number seven, No Mo Lady, the one I will be playing at Aqueduct on Friday. Let's get over to Delta Downs for Friday. Remember, this is leg three of that big turkey bowl series at Delta Downs. You want to get involved at Stable Duel, $50 entry fee to uh, to get in on Friday at Stable Duel. In the opener, I think the six Sid Asta, the big cutback, the blinkers on. She can pass horses too. And this is a trip that she likes. She's coming out of some races at Canterbury against some some pretty sharp horses. If you look at Hush Y'all, who beat uh, came back to win against 20,000 beaten claimers next out. Timogen Lady is a nice, sharp, lightly raced horse who's three for five. Uh, Biscatini came back to win uh, next time out at Thistle Down. Blinks on for a barn who started this meet absolutely rolling. And Eckleberry keeps uh, the faith here and is aboard for the number six in race number one at Delta Downs. Anything around three to one will make a win wager there. In race number two, I'm looking at the seven in here. That is Flash Annie, who put it all together last time out. This is not the strongest group in the world. And her numbers and figures are a little bit low, but she's on the upswing. She's really not done a whole lot wrong in her career. She was fine in the race where she went a mile. And I think she's going to really take well to this layout at Delta Downs. The number seven, Flash Annie, will be using and, and playing to win if we can get around seven to two. I'm going to move on to race number five at Delta for my next play, and this is one that I like quite a bit in here. I'm looking at the number eight, Rock Ridge, who had a slow start at Remington Park, and then he rushed up in between horses. He was in tight. Then he was three deep in between horses. He took up. He ended up losing a couple lengths. He lost all of his momentum. He got stuck in between horses, and he was in a really bad spot. He kept trying all the way. He really had nowhere to go, and then he faded late, and that was his first start since February. He's going to put two starts together now. There were three next out winners in that November race at Remington, so it's come back very, very live. I think the game plan has to be get aggressive with him towards the outside. I don't know if he's going to be on the lead, but I think he should be. He should break well and be able to get a good position for himself here. Rock Ridge, I think he's going to get bet down. Anything around 2-1 to one or over seems fair to me as we move along to race number 6. I'm looking at the 10 in here. The two Pickens is the one to catch and beat. Plenty of respect for Pickens. I will be hooking him up with the 10, Broadway Jones, who has enough speed to stay close, but he can pass horses. And he's not really dealing with the long, long layoff, but a line through his last start in the slop last time out. He likes this trip, cutting back the number 10, Broadway Jones. We'll use the 10 with the 2 in race number 6 at Delta on Friday. In race number 7, I'm looking at the number 10 in here, Love and Lemons. She should be forwardly placed, and she actually could be, you know, sitting third if the the number 2 and the number 8 go. Last time out, she had a good start. She sat second just off. She was in the 2 path. She moved to the lead, and then she got challenged on all sides. She held off all of those, and then here comes a rail runner um, who, you know, she she's battling back, 
and she just couldn't hold off a horse down the center of the racetrack, Dablin Channel, who is a next out winner, and Dablin Channel came out of that race um, to actually win her third in a row. Love and Lemons, the number 10, anything around 2 to 1 or so, will make a win wager on this one. The eighth race at Delta Downs is the $100,000 treasure chest stakes, and I like the four Regal Beauty, who is just sharp. She's done so little wrong in her career. She has legitimate excuses for the two poor performances. One of them, she was sent to the bench for a while. The other, she was in tough against Graded Stakes Company in the Santa Anita Oaks. Since changing barns, she has been in four consecutive tries. She's looking for her third win in a row. She had a slow start. She was last of eight early on. She was in the two path. She was about six lengths off. She made a big, wide sweeping move to get up late. She can sit closer. Now that she's stretching back out to a mile, she probably will be. And Signs jumps aboard. The number four, Regal Beauty top selection. Anything over eight to five. She's probably a late exotic single. Definitely a stable dual horse to use. And yeah, if she is two to one or so, I'll I'll throw a few on her to win. Probably the same for the number seven, Sweet Perfection, to close things out. There really is no other speed in here on paper. She looks like she should have a few lengths on this field. Second off the bench, putting two starts together. Blinkers on, dropping in class. The number seven, Sweet Perfection, should be really tough to catch and run down late. She will be my top selection and a late exotic single. So in the first, we're using the six. In the second, the number seven. In the fifth race, the number eight, Rock Ridge. The sixth, the number ten, Broadway Jones. The seventh, the number ten, Love and Lemons. The eighth, the number four, Regal Beauty. And the ninth, the number seven, Sweet Perfection. That is Friday over at Delta. Let's finish off the Friday heading to Del Mar. Don't forget about that Friday Del Mar contest, stable duel, $5 contest. You can also play the $100 top ten contest. Let's, uh, let's jump into... Race number one, uh, I'm, I'm just going to breeze through the card because I do think that it's a little bit chalky, to be completely honest. So, um, you know, I, I try not to spend a lot of time on races that I'm going to tell you, oh, hey, I like the favorite or the, the second choice in here. In the opener, the four explosive um, will probably be a, a first-time starter for a barn who's rolling right now that's going to come out firing. And Yang, again, the nine is going to be tough, so nothing too crazy there. In the second, I thought it was going to be chalky, too, with El Horefano uh, dropping or cutting, coming back to uh, the mile on the main track. Um, so, yeah, nothing nothing too crazy there with uh, the three. Even the same thing in the third. Uh, I thought the six, um, Viazar was going to be very, very tough in here. In the fourth race, now we can start to maybe open it up a, a little bit here with Lady O'Prado. She was claimed uh, for 20 at Churchill. She's had a work here at Del Mar since, but she's fresh. She's been off a couple months over since she's last race. She's going to cut back from a mile and a 16th to six and a half furlongs for Bob Hess Jr. with Magnolia's Hope, Lady on Ice, and Shalima all likely showing speed in here. This thing should set up very nicely for the number four, Lady O. Prado. will be playing the four horse there to win and using in all of our exotics. In the fifth race, I think the one's got some ability here. The dam of this one, Fakashina, one on turf. The graded stakes placed dam on the dirt with three siblings that she's produced fools. Two of them winners, one of them won on the turf. Looks like she's got some ability in the mornings. So, 
the number one. We'll throw into all of our exotics. If we can get around you know, five or six to one worthy of a win wager, the seven and eight are very logical. Those are the two horses to beat. I think you have to use them in your exotics too. The four would be uh, another that I'd look to, another Mandela first-time starter who could be live. The sixth race, the three, Jam and Eddie looks tough, so nothing you know, really too crazy to discuss there. In the seventh race, the Hollywood Turf Cup, grade two here, uh, I like the eight. Uh, this is Lacario for Motion, who came over to Belmont on October the 3rd in the Turf Classic, was fifth early, was in the two-path, was about five lengths off, was chasing the lone speed of Channel Maker, and uh, this guy got caught in between horses, got shuffled back, had to angle around, and took a while to get going, but was a, a very nice second, and was behind Channel Maker, who came back to run third in the Breeders' Cup. I think Lucario's the one to beat, and I will throw in the three, Red King, who's going to come back home. I just don't know if he's good enough, but he should feel a lot more comfortable back in Southern California where he's done his best running. We move along, and uh, Del Mar on Friday, and the 8th and the ninth races, to be honest, um, the the ninth race, you know, the 4 is another one where it looks like on Easy Street is going to be really, really tough. So, throughout the card, just a, a few races where I felt like there were opportunities to jump in, but hey, no problem. We got plenty of opportunities on Thursday, on Friday, and then on Saturday. Make sure to follow along on social media because I will be posting another podcast for the Saturday races with Andrew Champagne. We're going to go through... Uh, the stable duel contest with big contest at Del Mar and at Delta. We're also going to talk about Churchill Downs in that all graded stakes card on uh, that all two year old card on Saturday with a couple graded stakes races there. So a really good two year old Churchill card on Saturday. Before we get into some wrestling, let's talk a little bit about what are the sponsors of That's What G said. OldSmokeClothing.com. I know you're a, a horse racing fan. You were listening to all the horse racing analysis. We are giving you free shipping with the promo code of G-I-N-O because you're a listener of That's What G Said. That's what Old Smoke Clothing is willing to do. Give you free shipping on horse racing t-shirts, hats, zip-ups, hoodies, tank tops, long sleeves, quality clothings. You can get custom designs with whatever you want on them. You can check out some of their special collections like the Kentucky Derby Collection or the uh, Secretariat Collection. You can... Represent some of your favorites. Tis the Law, Midnight Bisu, Authentic, She Dares the Devil. Maybe you want to be a part of the Old Smoke Clubhouse where they have quarterly packages that include a t-shirt, a horse racing themed gift, various package fillers. They uh, have quarterly packages that uh, ship to you the first week of January, April, July, and October. Membership perks, 20% off all orders, access to the online forum, video feature appearances, quarterly betting contests, cash back referral, additional perks. Check it out. Clubhouse at OldSmokeClothing.com. OldSmokeClothing.com is the website for everything. Make sure to look at that clubhouse too. And hey, promo code G-I-N-O gets you free shipping on your order. Now we talk a little bit about some wrestling WWE. We recap the Survivor Series from over the weekend. Talk all about The Undertaker and his 30 years. And then everything uh, moving forward from the Survivor Series. Darren Zocali joins to talk wrestling. 
it is Thanksgiving week. So uh, a traditional uh, sort of big moment in the world of, of wrestling, the holiday season always in old wrestling, even well before WWF, WWE was always a sort of a big days because families would always be around later in the days. They'd always have big wrestling shows. So Survivor Series became uh, something that us WWE fans would associate with Thanksgiving and uh before we get into the wrestling, though, one one gentleman who I'm very thankful for, good friend of mine, he comes on here and he helps us uh, each and every week. We talk wrestling, horse racing. This week, uh, we're going to talk some football, even uh, and some uh, and some wrestling with Darren. Uh, very thankful for my good friend Darren Zocali. And Darren, I know you're pretty thankful for a uh, a horse that you had in the winter circle this uh, this week. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, it was it was cool, man. We. Uh... We ran a filly over at uh, Churchill Downs named Stylish Kitten that we claimed uh, over at Indiana at the end of July. And uh, she had won two races before that for us, bumped her up to a 20 claimer and uh, kind of did a little bit of a Silky Sullivan impersonation. Uh, down the backside, she wasn't even in the picture. And uh, she made up about 13, 14 lengths and kind of went by the whole field and one going away by a length and a half. Uh, unbelievable thrill to win a race at Churchill Downs and uh, sending a couple of horses now on over to Turfway for the winter meet there, including a horse that we claimed uh, a couple of weeks ago that we're really excited about. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a fun three and a half, four months. Uh, pretty successful so far, but uh, really excited for, for 2021 when it comes to uh, the ownership group Thorough Crowd. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're pretty pumped, and that was, a, that was a thrill of a lifetime for me, man. We're real excited rooting, rooting along for you. There, so uh, so DZ, we are in the world of wrestling and, and WWE in particular, coming off of the Survivor Series, which I thought was a good show this year. What was different about the Survivor Series? It was the 30 year anniversary of the debut of The Undertaker, so this was sort of built around um, the final farewell for The Undertaker. So, I think even before the other matches and some of the stuff coming out of that show, we could start there. So, what they did with um, with really this segment, it was the final segment of the show, it was the, basically the main event of the pay per view, and they brought out it was sort of interesting because I there were some things about it I liked, but what what's strange about this in particular is the character of the Undertaker. He's not like a Ric Flair that you bring out there or even a Hulk Hogan or someone like that who has been, you know, someone that's cut promos and had all these interactions. He's a guy that doesn't talk a lot. You know, so it, it's always interesting when you have a like a final segment like this and we talk, you and I were texting about this back and forth throughout the show. It's hard to do something like this without the fans. It just it, it seemed it, it, a little hollow. I like what they did. They brought out a lot of his old rivals, a lot of people that were his friends b- backstage. But we didn't really get stories about a lot of them. We just kind of got in passing. Oh, yeah, this was one of his friends in the BSK or this was this. It there were some things I liked, but it sort of it sort of still felt like it was missing something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, after the career that he had, it just doesn't feel right that the Undertaker goes out without fans in attendance. Um, you know, I understand they're doing it. You know, thirty years to the day after his debut, I, I get I get the angle there. You know, myself, I would have waited until maybe you know, a WrestleMania or something when there would be people there. But but I get what they were doing. Um, yeah. The the thing of it with him is, is that, you know, look, uh, 
it's not even up for a debate. Uh, the Undertaker is the greatest character in the history of professional mm -hmm. Um, not necessarily the greatest wrestler, uh, but the greatest character. Uh, and the importance in that is that Mark Calloway lived as the Undertaker yeah. for a long time. Not just, and when I say lived as the Undertaker, I mean he wore black wherever he went and didn't talk in public. Traveling, right? airports, on the road, in restaurants. Yeah. He's not doing interviews on podcasts yeah. with people and autograph signings and a whole, like all that, those kind of things. Exactly. And the significance of that is because that you were never going to get the pomp and circumstance of a farewell for him like you would any other wrestler where mm -hmm. everyone came out to the ring and they shook his hand and embraced him and hugging and this yeah. and that. And just, that's just not going to happen with him because he is so connected to that character and lived this life as that character and speaks to this day of saying that he has had a hard time internally accepting the fact that things like the internet and social media have kind of forced him to pull the curtain down a little bit and get people to kind of peek in and realize, oh, the Undertaker is this person, Mark Calloway. So he's going to go out as the Undertaker. It's it's going to be a promo as the Undertaker. He's not going to thank anybody. Mm -hmm. He's not going to show real emotion. And that's kind of the way it's supposed to be yeah. because that's the character that he is. So from that standpoint, I think you were going to get an Undertaker promo as the Undertaker, regardless. But that being said, there's still it, it still felt like it was missing something because despite the virtual screens, it, it took place in an empty arena. So we got a lot of um yeah we got Savio Vega, Rikishi, JBL, um, and then you know we got uh Shawn Michaels, Triple H, just a lot of different Rivals throughout the Undertaker's career and some of his backstage friends, and then he came out. He had his uh, one thing that even you know my girlfriend Stephanie was laughing. She said he's really walking slow this time, huh? <laughs> even like really laying it on thick for uh, for what they're saying will be his last uh, final farewell. We've had it a few times with him, and this happens in wrestling. He deserves to have a either. Raw in a packed crowd the night before or the the night after WrestleMania or uh, you know a WrestleMania moment where he comes out and he gives a send off he deserves that with the crowd and I th and I think he'll still get it at some point like you said it's the the anniversary into the date so they can't really recreate that you could do it again next year or the year after in 31, 32 years to the date whatever that's fine as long as they give him. Uh, another another moment with the crowd at least Even if it was a moment very similar to this Where I don't expect him to do it Like you said, he's not going to come out there and say Okay, hey guys, now I'm Mark right. You know, he's just not, not going to do that And that's just, even, even, which is funny right now with the, Some of the things that are floating around the internet About The Undertaker Because he's starting to, in the last Really two months or so Basically since the WWE Gone with the this Last Ride documentary We've actually started to see him in other places doing interviews as himself and not the undertaker. But what I've been laughing at are some of these cameos. Have you seen these Darren floating around oh, yeah. with the oh. undertaker where people have paid a thousand dollars to get the undertaker to do a message for you. And he's saying things like, Hey, 
you need to brush your teeth because your mom said so. You know, it's it's like it's pretty funny. Somebody even said something like, like people are paying him a thousand dollars just to say like, "Thank you, Vince. You are the one that made my career." You know, just like goofy stuff. But this guy, um, it's one thing where man in a in a an era now where wrestling is very different. Um, this guy was such a mainstay. It does feel like for someone like you or I who, you know, in a weird way, it's like when I saw uh when you see people, it's different, he's alive and stuff. When you see someone pass away, that's that's been like a a figure in your life for a long time, or been a character on a show or something like that for a long time, and then they're not there. This this guy was a mainstay for 30 years, you know, the better part of at least 25 years where he's around at WrestleMania, you can kind of count on it. So it's definitely sad. Even Every time we we have a, a moment like this, or we have a when we see him go, it's definitely something to look back on and go, "Wow, you know what? There have been a lot of moments where I sat down and watched this guy, and he entertained me for a while." So I always, uh, I'm always, you know, giving a little tip of the hat to the taker. Yeah, it, it's one of those things, like, um, you know, like like for me, like like Derek Jeter retired, mm-hmm. you yeah. know. Was was like you know me kind of like saying goodbye to a part of my childhood, mm-hmm. even though I was you know thirty one years old or thirty two years old. Kobe for me, um, same type yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. So and I'm and I'm thirty seven. Um, so it sounds a little goofy to say it, but if you think about like if I think about all the things that were around when I was nine or ten years old, um, yeah. that are still around now, and, and and I don't mean like actual sports franchises, like individual people that are still doing things i mean other than like maybe musicians or something to that effect but uh there's not a lot that i can think of off the top of my head that i really like kind of connect with so this was like another one of those things where it was like you know a a part of my ends because you know how many nights i spent watching you know undertaker you know with my dad watching pay-per-views together Mm -hmm. or you know, and, and one of the things, and, and and I'm sure it'll be a regret, and it's not to any fault of of mine or anybody else's. I, it was just bad luck. Uh, of all the shows, and I've I've talked to you about this before. Yeah, you have all the shows that I've been to, and I, and I've been to dozens and dozens of wrestling shows, house shows, pay per views, WrestleManias, you name it. Yeah, it's unbelievable that I have never seen the Undertaker in person. It's almost it is possible. It's absurd, uh, really. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. I mean, he out of thirty WrestleManias, thirty consecutive, you know, WrestleManias. I think he wrestled in twenty-seven of the thirty because he's twenty-five and two, I believe, in WrestleMania. I was at WrestleMania ten; he was not there. I was at the most recent WrestleMania at MetLife Stadium; he was not there. The closest I came to seeing the Undertaker in person was at the twenty-fifth anniversary of Raw. Except I was at the Barclays Center and he was at the Manhattan Center, so I, it's amazing that it's never happened. And I've tried, I've I've even bought tickets. I was going to WrestleMania this year uh, because I figured it would probably be his last match, and of course COVID happens. So, and I'm not blaming myself for that. No, but it's, it's sad. It's, it's one of those sad. weird things. It's yeah, one of those weird thing. I've never heard the gong in the building and that's you know a part of me a part of me is, is sad about that that i never had that experience and so 
heading back into Survivor Series and where it kind of moved off of Survivor Series into Monday Night Raw. Um, overall, I, I thought the show was, was good. It was good. There were a couple really good matches, as we expected. The women's title match and the men's title match um, were very good. They weren't for the title. It was Raw women's versus men's uh, and, and Universal versus WWE. But as far as the SmackDown or as far as the Survivor Series matches are concerned, the elimination matches, the one thing that I think we've had conversations about, too, with Andrew when we've talked about the old wrestling shows and stuff is that – we just need to add a little bit of stakes to them. And yeah. what's so funny is like watching what they're going to do, they, what they did coming off of the show anyways, like how much more would you, most people I think enjoyed watching survivor series, just knowing that, Oh, Hey, if you are one of the survivors in the men's match, you're going to get a shot at a title, right? We're going to get, we're going to put you in a match. It's going to be a, whatever. It's going to be Explain it to us. Just like you did. Hey, the next night there will be qualifying matches for the survivors and then you'll win or hey like all of you will get an individual title you don't have to worry about you know, like hating on your teammates during the just give us something to give us a little bit more stakes hey the the tag team there could be a tag team elimination match the winner there gets a tag they could do it during with like an IC level in a US level it's so simple just to give a little bit of stakes to it like they already did last night why couldn't they just tell us 2 weeks before hey you know, whoever wins the women's match, we're going to give them a, t- a women's championship. They don't want Lana to win the women's title. That's fine. And they could have done just what they did last night. They could have had her in a match with Asuka. And then, boom, the, you know, uh, Nia and Shayna interfere. And then that sends them off for the women's tag. Like, they could do everything they just did, but just let us know before, hey, there's going to be a little added incentive. I think that would have helped the pay-per-view a little bit. Yeah, even in the years where even if there was no like edit incentive in terms of a title match, but like, you know, have them when they would have like commissioners or general managers, like, you know, kind of like, you know, um, squabbling back and forth and, Mm -hmm. you know, making it feel like there was like stakes on the line, like their job was on the line. Yeah. Their teams lost. Like for this, it was just kind of like it didn't mean anything other than, you know, like, Roman Reigns being disappointed in Jay Uso and continuing, you know, that whole tribal storyline. Well, the men's was basically like the whole SmackDown side was really nothing. That was all for the Jay Uso storyline. Yes, that's all it was. Yeah. I mean, the Seth Rollins thing, I, I guess that's going somewhere. Um, I, I don't know where. I don't I don't know what I that's going to be. Think- Seth is going to be off for a little while for paternity yep. leave. That's coming up soon at some point, if it's not right now, because right. he he. He needs a he needs a tweak in the character, right? If it's heel, if he's gonna come back as a babe, whatever it is, like the Messiah thing, just felt like a miss. I don't it, it, all, all along, and it what it does is it ends up like Seth Rollins is one of those guys with the way he wrestles, and like he loves the WWE. He genuinely does. If you watch, if you listen to him, and like you watch him on social media, he goes to bat for them. Like he should be your company babyface guy or one of them that that you're selling. Instead, he's kind of been like he's better as a heel. I think he 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 needs like his promo wise and stuff. He doesn't really have this strong babyface promo, but I don't like him in this character. Maybe we can get a freshening for him. Yeah, so I agree. He's he's better naturally as a heel, but him as a heel doesn't need a shtick. No. Yeah, just let him like just let him be like you know the you know the the a hole that he's been as a heel at times, and it yeah. Even kind of tweenery where he can be like, hey, I'm I'm healed because I just think I'm better than you. 
Yeah. Like that would be fine. Like a punk kind of heel where he's kind of a cool heel, but he can still, he doesn't have to be like a corny baby face. It's just, they've done a poor job through the years. And we've seen it with Daniel Bryan where they just can't really get uh, to, can't really write a baby face. And, and that'll sort of lead us into, you know, um, while we're sticking on the men's side, um, what, what they've done with Roman Reigns. And I think yeah. one of the, the few baby faces that they have written well for recently is Drew McIntyre. And um, I really liked, this match, uh, I really liked. Every, I, I like everything that's going on with Roman and with the Usos. You can feel like there's there's a lot of different ways to that, right? At some point, you know, Usos going to screw Roman, and and it's going to be the downfall of Roman in a big moment, losing the title. Something's going to happen. That's going to set it off even more. So, and there's a lot of layers with that. This is some awesome stuff. We finally got this Roman. You know, it almost feels like. When the rock almost feels like with the rock, you know, when he was Rocky Maivia for a while, and then he turned the rock, and it's like, oh, this is what this guy was supposed to be was supposed to be all along, you know. Um, this this felt like in an era, Darren, where there aren't too many matches you can throw out that that feel like, oh, well, we we haven't really seen that, or you know, we've seen some version of this in some way, shape, or form. The Drew Roman stuff feels really fresh. Yeah, uh, and I think I, I I'll be honest. The, the, the stuff that they've done with Roman over the last, you know, three and a half to four months uh, has been some of the best work creatively that they've done in a long time. Um, yep. They figured him out. They've stopped with the whole cheesy lines and suck you know, and suck attach. Yeah, whatever crap that they're trying to get him to say. And they're just, and I'm sure they're still writing stuff for him, but. A lot of it is coming off much, even like the trash talk in the ring. You know, when he's got Drew down, he's like, come on, number two. Come on. You know, that's just a great line. I guarantee you Heyman's more involved, too, in this. It feels like it. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. But the Roman character, the storyline with the Usos, I'm sure that – Yeah. by the way, I I think I picked up on something. You saw that that Roman was starting to talk to Joe a little bit, too. Mm Mm-hmm. And Joe obviously having some Samoan blood and well, all Samoan blood. Um, my feeling is, you know, we're pro- we're probably going to be yeah, heading to a point where Joe gets involved at some point, and we're going to start to see some kind of a Samoan faction expand here. But he had a great line to Joe where he said something to him like, "You you, you know what's coming, Joe. You know you've yeah. been there. You know it was a good. I forgot exactly what it was, but it but it was a good line. Um, the McIntyre stuff is great." This, even though that they had like the little brief, like kind of rivalry to get Roman back on track last year into WrestleMania, this feels fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, the stuff that the, even at the contract signing, which normally I hate contract signings, I thought it was really cool. Uh, you know, Drew said to him, like, you know, please underestimate me. You know, the way Roman just kind of like condescendingly looked at him and like, you know, I'm the guy and you're the guy just carrying this other belt. Uh, it feels real fresh. There's obviously going to be a lot more that happens. I thought the match was fantastic. It was. Yeah. And it, thought- it, it, it it was well put. Like, this is another thing where they had a lot of outs, and I'm glad they used one of them because I, I didn't want to see one of these two guys really go clean over the other right here. Yep. You know, you have so many ways they could have gotten out with the Fiend, the Money in the Bank briefcase. You know, they had Orton. They had all these different ways, and I'm glad they used one of them with Uso. That That's great. Yep. That that's continues fun. that yep. storyline along the way, and it just gives me a taste for this. It was like they started to get to the level where it's like, okay, now I want to see these guys in, in six months, or, you know, I want to see these guys go at it again. And so this is what – this was a, a – a, in a – 
you know, it's tough in this COVID era. It's been tough to 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 build things, right? You don't know what's going. You 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 want to save something big for crowds, but you don't know if you're going to get crowds when you're going to get crowds. I think now they're finally just starting to say, hey, you know what? Like, it it's starting to feel like we're getting a tweak towards WrestleMania season again. I liked what they did with Raw too. What we said with with all of the guys that that were the survivors on the Raw side, they turned Raw into a show that. Monday that felt important because There were all these qualifying matches To get to a triple threat to face Drew uh, along the way so Boom there's there's no reason why Every episode of Raw or Smackdown Can't have matches similar to that For one of the titles for uh, Number one contenders matches Just Give me a couple matches that mean a little Something and they make them a little bit better um, Even the stuff with you know The stuff and then we switch over to the women's side We'll talk about uh, on the women for a few minutes The Lana stuff was really predictable You could see for a few you know Months they were building um, Lana getting thrown through table After table after table there was going to be Some sort of a, a moment for Lana And she but, ends but, up Yeah but, but that you see that That was a it was a dumb way to do it I know. Like you, you, you threw the girl through nine tables. Could she get a pin? A pin? I mean, could she pin one person? That that's what I mean. One person. <laughs> She's got it. She didn't even step into the ring, really. It, so that's what. And then the night out, the next night, she's celebrating like this. She she won the bit, you know. Like, oh my yeah. god, I can't even think about it. I'm so emotional. I got all these messages from everyone, you know, for everything I. Did. So I, we knew she was going to get the moment, like you said. Her moment should have been a little better And you know what, maybe Maybe the moment really is What they're starting to build And maybe the moment for her is going to be She ends up actually putting Naya through a table at TLC And she and her and Asuka Win the women's tag team titles together That might be, if that ends up being Her moment, then and they were kind of just Putting this all along the way Then this would be actually pretty good storytelling And that would be an oh, I would be okay with that Because that's a way that they've done with, with For years now with WWE In tables matches Where yeah. they could have somebody lose without really taking a pin And you can sort of get out of it Let me I'll tell you what though Unless it's going to be like a Bret Hart 97 Survivor Excuse me 1995 Survivor Series table I don't, you know, where 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 Nia's like standing out in the apron and just, she moves, yeah, and just like like the bull falls backwards and how they're gonna get Lana to put Nia through a table, right? It's gonna <laughs> be real creative. Yeah, it's gonna be so. We'll we'll keep an eye on that and um, I, you know, just looking at, I'm not a real big uh, ratings monitoring, especially in this era. Football yeah. starting again and so many People stream stuff watch it later On Hulu a couple days later whatever So I don't pay attention to a lot Of those things as much but one thing Recently Smackdown's ratings have been Really really good and I think there are Two things that you can easily Point to all of the Roman stuff hands down that's just like People are really interested in in it One of your big stars is finally Like having a really good run where he feels like a big star, and I think the other one is Sasha Banks. Honestly, she is forever been someone that the fans are very behind. She is a star. She is excellent in the ring. She's good on the mic. She's even coming off of a an episode of The Mandalorian with, that she starred in a couple weeks ago, so she's got a little bit more buzz to her. And uh, she had, as you would imagine, a really good match with Oscar on on Sunday night. So. You know Bailey and Bailey did for a lot of this year, and now we got to give it up to Sasha and Oscar's carried the load for a while. They've done a good job 
Because we got to remember, you know, this was a division that for a while there was Ronda, there was Becky for a heck of a while, and Charlotte, and none of them are there right now. Yeah, they, they definitely had to carry the mail. It, it's been a kind of quick, it's been a relatively quick transition out of there too, because Ronda mm-hmm. was one day and then just gone the next. Becky, you know, was you know was here for a year and then all of a sudden was gone. Uh, similar with Charlotte, so. You know, and and doing all that at a time without live crowds, and you know, and not only that, but you had like a five month period where Roman was gone too. You know, so it was easy to understand why they were struggling. Um, but you're right um, in terms of the storyline. Sasha's done great work. Roman, the character that they've created there, is fantastic. Uh, I'm interested to see where they go with this whole Fiend Orton thing. I mean, mm-hmm. that was fun on Monday. You know, it, I mean, whenever you put Orton in a situation where he has to act like that, it, it's like it's kind of comical <laughs> because yeah, it is. You know, like what what Randy must be thinking, like in his head, that he has to like this shit again. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, like I got a guy in a clown mask creeping up behind me, and I have to act like I'm scared. Exactly. I go flying across the ring, but it's so damn like enjoyable to watch. Um, the Alexa Bliss thing is is weird, but I'm kind of curious to see it's, where it's it goes. interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's captivating. She yeah, like she's like a weird, you know, Disney character or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like she's like a weird, evil character. It's it's great, you know. And you um, know like to me, she looks like like if Alice from Alice in Wonderland. I was just thinking like, the Mad Hatter or something, right? Yeah, I mean, she's at yeah. the tea party. She's there's no doubt about it. She's like bouncing around there, like yeah, it's it's good, and so it feels like. Um, it's like we talk about it's like anything, you know. You're a fan of New York, the Yankees, the Giants, these teams. It's cyclical. It's like sports teams, but we these these guys in, in WWE now AEW, they don't have any off season, right? Yeah. So there's no time for them to take a few months to heal up or to you know figure out the storylines for the next. Like everything is constantly moving, constantly flowing. Somebody gets hurt, somebody's got a COVID thing, somebody's not around. Hey, you got to redo this on the fly. Not to mention you've got a guy like Vince who's already redoing things on the fly <laughs> all the time, like leading up to it. So yeah, I, after some episodes, it's like sometimes I'm sure for you too when we watch three hours and then another couple. Some weeks it's like darn it, feeling it's feeling a little more like like work than. Went then sitting down and loving it, and now coming off of this show, there are at least enough things where I look around and go, "Okay, cool." Now I'm excited about this moving forward. I'm excited about this moving forward. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, there's a bunch of angles that I'm curious to see where it takes them. And uh, look, I mean, I, I don't know when we're going to see people in a building again. They're certainly, you know, doing these things in the right state if that's their goal. Um, you know, I know Tampa, Tampa Bay Downs comes back on Wednesday, and they're going to mm-hmm. have fans there. Gulfstream has had some fans, and they don't seem to be – it seems like the governor of Florida just doesn't roll anything back at any point in time. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it's possible if they continue down this path, and it's possible that if WrestleMania, you know, ends up in Florida where it was supposed to be last year, which we've heard rumblings about that happening, you know, there could be fans there. I mean, who knows? But – um yeah, I mean, for what they, you know, they've been dealt a difficult hand like all sports. Uh, ratings are not going to be as good. We've seen it with, you know, the major horse racing events. We've seen it with the NBA Finals. We've saw it with the Masters. Um, yep. you know, ratings are just not going to be there during this pandemic or all the wild stuff going on for a litany of reasons. Um, they've done a good job recently. I think it's an enjoyable product again. 
hopefully they build on the momentum and it stays that way for the months to come. You hear Darren each and every week here. We talk a little bit about everything, uh, mainly the old wrestling rewatch with Andrew Champagne. And so for next week, uh, we've uh, we've got Survivor Series 2016 on the docket. We'll be talking about that one for all you wrestling fans. You can follow Darren on social media on Twitter at the track seven. Uh, great follow, always talking uh, about racing. You, you'll see stuff from harness to thoroughbred, lots of sports stuff too. As someone in the New York area, big baseball fan, football fan, fantasies fan too. And uh, so that's where we're gonna head next. DZ, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut this one off for a minute. We're gonna take a little bit of a break here, and then you and I are gonna talk about those three Thanksgiving games this week. So don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be back in just a minute, and we're gonna be talking some NFL with Darren Zocali. Big thank you to DZ, Darren Zocali. We'll be back talking the old wrestling rewatch Survivor Series 2016 next week with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. Let's close this out talking uh, Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 4. So a spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you haven't watched Episode 4, we're going to talk about things that happened throughout the episode. And wow, we are really rapid fire moving along. The first two episodes of this season didn't, Really progressed the storyline a whole ton. They were fun. They had the you know the weekly um, uh, adventure. Uh, what does Mando have to to get get through this week? Mando and Baby Yoda. And now we're starting to tie a lot of strings together. We're getting more background. We're getting things that are going to start to tie these this show to the sequel trilogy events. We we're, we're getting in this episode all sorts of stuff about cloning. Um, trying to inject the Force, Palpatine, Sidious, Palpatine's son, um, the First Order, lots of stuff going on. Here we pick things up with the Razor Crest in shambles, and Baby Yoda's working on it. He doesn't know the difference between the red wires and the blue wires, and uh, Mando uh, realizes they need repairs, so they, uh, they head back to visit some of their friends at Navarro, Cara Dune. Who is busting a a robbery And she takes back some of what has been stolen She is now Marshall Dune And uh, she actually meets a little friend A pet meerkat Mando lands and he sees his friends Kara and Grief Karga They agree to help with some of the repairs We can see someone spying on Mando As they uh, walk away The whole town has been cleaned up It looks great And there are tons of really cool details You can see that Star Wars And the producers of this show are starting to have fun with some of the new toys and new tools, new technology they have because we're really getting great details of this city. They have a little tribute statue to IG-11. And the old bar is now a school. And uh, they leave Baby Yoda there for a few minutes. He's at school. It was funny. There's a, a, a boy sitting next to Baby Yoda who's eaten what looked to be these macaroons and he won't give any to baby Yoda so he uses the force to steal them and he's like munching on these macaroons they're blue kind of like a the blue milk a little throwback to Luke Skywalker we then see the prisoner from episode one from the very beginning the pilot episode uh Methal who is Mando's prisoner and he makes a reference to the Carbonite and being blind So we're getting all these easter eggs Talking about Han Solo They then ask Mando um, to help them There's one last Imperial base That's on the area They want to get rid of this And then they can really have their planet And this this place cleaned up So while the ship's getting repaired Mando helps the four of them 
um, I'm, I butcher the name, some of them, Mythal, Mythal, who with Mando, with uh, Cara Dune and Grief Karga. So they break into what they think is an empty base to blow up, and there are actually troopers there. So they are at the point where they're find, they find the reactor to blow it up. My Mythal triggers it, and this is a place that's more than what they initially thought. This is actually a lab with cloning. We see these tanks all over with clones in there. And we see the doctor from episode one that was working on Baby Yoda before Mando stopped him. He's talking and he's we, we see we intercept this message where he's talking to Moff Gideon and Mandalorian thinks it's an old message because he thinks Moff Gideon's dead. And this is how he finds out Moff Gideon's still alive. So Mandalorian immediately leaves to go back and get Baby Yoda. And the rest of the crew fight off the Stormtrooper. Kara flies them out in this crazy commandeered vehicle. We get a really fun chase scene with the Stormtroopers following them as Grief Karga mans the guns. And uh, and then Mando just kind of comes out of nowhere and saves them with Baby Yoda. And uh, Baby Yoda's munching on the, uh, the macaroons in the, the Razor Crest. And then Mando is off. He leaves. He's got to get on the move to go find uh, where to take baby Yoda. And he knows that Moff Gideon is now hot on his trail. The X-Wing pilot from before, the guy from Kim's Convenience, who followed had been following the Razorcrest, shows up. And he's asking some questions, Grief Karga and Cara Dune, about the ship. He actually asks Kara to join them. He knows something bad is happening. He knows. Uh, he asked her about Alderaan. He said he served there. And she mentions how she lost everyone. He leaves her a badge just in case she wants to join. He said they could use people like her. We then see that spy who at the very beginning of the episode planted that tracking device on the Razor Crest. So Moff Gideon knows where Mando is. He knows that Baby Yoda is with him and he's able to track the Razor Crest now. And we see these crazy... Super trooper type machines being maintenanced while Moff Gideon gets ready. He's like rallying the troops and getting ready because it looks like what they're trying to do is inject the force and take the power from Baby Yoda and either put it into themselves or these these fighters. And now we're getting all these crazy things that are tying the movies and these just different universes of Star Wars all together. Fascinating stuff. I keep looking forward to each weekly episode of The Mandalorian. Thank you folks for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Hope you all had a nice Thanksgiving and a Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to have another episode coming out in just a few days to talk about some of the Saturday racing and then we'll kind of confirm everything for NFL Saturday week, uh, the Sunday week 12 game. So don't forget, subscribe, download, rate, review, share the show around with your friends. Let them know about That's What G Said Podcast. Joey, take it away.